Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're at episode 21 now. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me, as always, Mr. Steve X. Stat. Steve, it's a new year. Yes, it is. Happy 2021, Steve. Uh, same to you, my man. Same to you. Hopefully, uh, big things to come for us. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it can't be much worse than 2020, but I really don't want to jinx that. I mean, you know, everything around the world, not, not about the show. And I, I hope so, I hope so too. Things are really starting to pick up here for the grenade for WrestleCopia. Lots of more downloads, subscriptions, a lot of new followers in the month of November and December. They just keep listening and they keep telling their friends, I suppose. Whatever's working, you guys just keep doing it. And we want to thank you so very much. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks to everyone. Like I said, we got some big things planned for twenty twenty one and I, I'm excited. It's a new start. It's fresh, you know. <laughs> Hopefully three months into the new year we don't get hit with something new. Just got to make the best of it, right? Yeah. Hopefully somebody's not eating a, you know, chinchilla somewhere and con- contracting a new type of virus or some some type of thing. So <laughs> let's just cross our fingers and hope for the best here in 2021 as we we're back. And when I say we're back, that's because last week, Steve, we did a very special episode, the 20th edition, a special holiday edition moving into New Year at the time. We did a watch along of the WWF Royal Rumble 1996. Yeah, it was different, but uh, I think it, like we talked about on there, it just tied everything together that we're trying to do here at the, at the Copia. So um, I hope everybody enjoyed it. If you haven't listened to it yet, definitely go out and listen. It's a great watch, and, or a great listen and watch, and we had a lot of fun doing that one. Yeah, and uh, we're back. We promised we'd be back, and we've been saying it for a couple weeks now, and it's it's here. It's finally here. It's September of 1989, two more weeks of NWA TV, including Labor Day weekend for September 1st and the weekend of September 8th. Everything heading into Clash of the Champions 8, Fall Brawl. And if you guys have been waiting to hear this episode first, as a uh, reminder, the Clash of the Champions 8 watch-along was released two weeks ago as part of the grenade on episode 19. You can always go back and listen to that anytime. For those who've already listened to it, great. You guys are all caught up. You know what the storylines are. We're going to feed you just a couple more weeks of storylines going into that clash. For those who have been waiting, here it is. This is the episode. If you guys have been saving that Clash of the Champions watch along until after this episode, you can go queue that up right after this one. But for right now, Steve, I think it's just about time to get ready. We've got a couple things to do before we get into that. I want to really reiterate that we, we worked really hard last week in putting out the Royal Rumble 96 watch along, the WWF Royal Rumble, obviously. And the reason we did that is that's not our next task. We're not moving into 1996 WWF. Don't you worry. But it does coincide. It works very well with the Monday Warfare show that we also put out as we're also in January of 96 on the Monday Warfare show. So we figured instead of throwing the Royal Rumble onto our Patreon, where we put all of our other pay-per-views from that era, we gave it to everyone for free. Just a little taste of what it's like over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Subscribe only $5 a month, Steve, and they get all of our watch-along series, Saturday night's main events, Coliseum videos, WWF and WCW pay-per-views, and so much more. 
Yeah, there's a, we're starting to fill up some content over there. There's a lot of good good stuff on there. If you haven't subscribed yet, definitely get out there and do it. Uh, you won't regret it. I can promise you that. Yeah, we're jumping around all over the place. We're doing 1980s. We're doing 1990s. And I plan to add some older footage as well very soon and some, some of the territory. A lot of good stuff. A lot of things planned coming up very, very soon there. But we're talking Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're talking Episode 21. And we're talking the first two weeks of September 1989 this week. And before we can do that, we have to talk the August 89 And Steve, I'm going to read you some of the things this guy did in August, and then I'll let you try to take a guess as to who it might be. I'll give you two guesses also when we get to there. Sounds good. This man was killed by a Terry Funk pile driver. I believe, had I not seen him reappear on TV, that he was murdered by Sid Vicious. He managed to stay awake for a four-minute Tommy Rich armbar. And this guy, he even jobbed to Jobbers, the state patrol. Who is this man, Steve? It's not Lee Scott again, is it? Oh, but it is. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, I, don't even have, I don't even have a Euro winner on my, <laughs> on my sound machine here, but you hit it. I gave you two shots, Steve, and you got it right with the first one. The reason I gave you two shots is I thought you might Maybe, maybe, had I not given you all those clues, have guessed the dog of war, Mr. Mike Blackwell, as the jobber of the month. Otherwise, Mr. I'm going to shoot on the skyscrapers. Fuck with me and find <laughs> out. Well, he found out Mike Blackwell in and out one night only. Uh, he's a certain, certainly the runner up here for jobber of the month in August. <laughs> yeah, when all us fellas just go to the least guy, I think the only reason I really went with him is because I remember watching him and Tommy Rich, and I was like, they're giving Lee Scott Tommy Rich? That's unfortunate. I want to see Lee Scott get killed, and uh, Tommy <laughs> Rich isn't the guy that's going to do that. So uh, I think that's what gave it away. Uh, what gave it away, away to me was the Sid Vicious murder squash, which we have put up on Twitter. We have put up on our new YouTube channel, the Wrestling Memory Grenade YouTube channel. I've only got a few videos up so far. I will be adding tons more in the coming weeks and months. However... Yes, the Lee Scott, poor Lee Scott was just absolutely murdered by Sid. After uh, refusing to bump for a Sid shoulder tackle, he found out. <laughs> it's not that Sid needed any provocation to do anything to Lee Scott, but if he needed anything, that was, that was plenty enough incentive. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sid's going to do what he wants to anyway, whether he sold for him or not. So uh, Lee Scott was in for a long night just by signing up for Sid there. And, of course, once again, honorable mention has to go to Mike Blackwell for being an absolute moron and douchebag. Yeah, pretty much. Congratulations, Lee Scott. I don't know if this is your fifth time. I don't, I'm, I've lost count at this point, Steve, but you are, you are the reigning master. I don't think anybody can even touch you at this point. <laughs> you are not only the VIP no. job of the month. I don't care who wins October, November, December, September, whatever. You have to be the VIP jobber of the year at this point. So congratulations, Lee Scott. VIP jobber of the month. He's one of the greatest jobbers of all time. He has to be. I never mentioned. He has to be. My God. You know, you have to wonder if his career was cut short because of all of these insane bumps. Actually, I got notes here on this show as well. Because Lee winds up becoming a, a WCW referee for a short period of time. I believe his father was actually a referee, I think, up in the Northeast, uh, Levi Scott, many, many moons ago. But you have to figure all of this stuff. Maybe it took a toll on him really fast in a hurry or something. I'm just guessing. I mean, he didn't have a lot of meat on those bones to to, to recoup as, as fast as maybe maybe a Cactus Jack. 
Yeah, man. I don't know. Hats off to him. I, I've been impressed with him all year. Yeah. <laughs> Wahoo McDaniel actually makes a comment about him. I, I took notes on him. I'm going to talk about that when we get to it later on in this episode of The Grenade here. But before we uh, get going with the weekend of September 1st, there's one other thing we need to touch on here, and that's the passing of a wrestler we've been covering since January of 89, Steve Casey, who passed away in uh, earlier in December uh, in his sleep at the age of, I think it was 62. We have since put out a episode of WCNN, the WrestleCopia News Network, just a small dedication to Steve Casey, a.k.a. Steve Sasser, uh, a.k.a. Steve Dane in the global days. Not going to touch on it too long here because there's a whole piece. You guys want to hear a little brief rundown of his career and some of the memories I had of him as a child growing up and watching him on ESPN and things like that. And Steve, of course, you chimed in as well with your thoughts and the whole bungee cord match and all that good stuff. So I just want to reiterate one more time. We Best wishes to his family, his friends. You know, my prayers and thoughts were with them. Yeah, absolutely. Thoughts and prayers with his family. It's a rough time to pass, you know, holiday season. It's always a tough time. Rest in peace, Steve Casey. And we're going to get going here right after these brief but important messages. The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia podcast network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts slated to launch over the course of the fall season. Everything from our show The Grenade to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts this holiday season, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. 
And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, the all-access tier. Not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That's wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. All right, guys, we're back. And Steve, if you're ready, man, we can get going with two more weeks of NWA TV. It feels like forever since we've been on the TV. Yeah, yeah it feels like a long time, but I'm ready to get started. Yeah, I think it was only three weeks ago. I mean, we did the Clash watch along. We did the Rumble watch along, but we're back. And here we go. And we're going to kick things off with the NWA Power Hour for September 1st. I believe this was taped August 22nd in Greenville, South Carolina. Show kicks off with the Cuban Assassin taking on Greg Evans. And Greg Evans was one of the ding-dongs, for those who don't know. I did notice that Jim Ross and Jim Cornette were on commentary this week rather than just JR. So that was a nice change of pace, I thought. And uh, we kicked the match off. The ding-dong is in control. The announcers put him over. Uh, I think he might have been in line at this point. I don't really know what happens, but it seems like he might have been in line for a small push, that jobber to the star type role, because he really held his own here with the Cuban for most of this match. Yeah, he was getting some decent offense, and he had a few hope spots and things like that, but nothing really to write home about. It was it was all right match. It just went too long for my taste. Yeah, and uh, Iron Sheiky, he's already gone from the company at this point, so he's not even any longer with the Cuban. So it's just the Cuban out here all by himself. He winds up dumping Evans to the floor, takes over for control, and eventually lands a backbreaker to pick up the win in six minutes and 30 seconds. A bit long for two underneath guys, but it's a power hour, and they, f- they like to fill time with things like this at times. Yeah, that's creative. <laughs> so uh, my notes here is a bunch of nothing going on, and then Cuban wins it with a shitty backbreaker. So tells you my thoughts on this one. <laughs> yeah. Lackluster finish, but I, I, I enjoyed the match probably a little more than you. I really liked seeing what Evans had. I thought he was certainly the better of the ding-dongs. I don't know what that yeah. says, but that's, that's my takeaway anyway. And we move along. It's time for uh, uh, Gordon Soley's WNN. We see clips from the WCW brawl from last week, the World Championship Wrestling brawl at the end of the show with Sting and uh, taking on Slater, and then, of course, Funk coming in and Muda leading to Ric Flair, Brian Pillman making the save, and Flair smashing the branding iron over Dick Slater's arm. Gordon Sully says the Clash 8 will be on free TV, Steve. It's free. And the main event will pit. At this point, Flair and Sting taking on Funk and Muda. And Gordon feels that 
because of Sting and Flair's history in the past, taking on each other several times, that their experience working against each other will make them the superior team. And I got more on that much later in this show. I think Gordon's been hitting the sauce. No surprise there. Gordon moves away from the Clash 8 main event. He wants to talk romance, Steve. He wants to talk Robin Green. He, he has recently seen the footage of Robin Green with Rick Steiner at the zoo. Boy, are they behind the times. We've already seen the other date where she morphs into the woman character. But again, Gordon Sully probably hitting the sauce. And <laughs> Sully's opinion of Robin Green here after the zoo date is she seemed a bit pushy, which is true. I agree with Gordon there. And uh, we're gonna put, I'm going to break down the top 10 for this time because I'm going to give you guys an idea of where we are, where everyone stands on the top 10 right now. And we're going to go from 10, work our way up to one. We got 10, Ron Simmons. Number nine, Flying Brian. Number eight, Tommy Rich. Somebody, Gordon, Gordon might have made this list too. Number seven, Dan Spivey. Six is Sid. Five, Dr. Death. Four, Sting. Three, Muda. Two is Terry Funk. And the number one, well, the premier athlete. Lex Luger, and of course your world champion, the nature boy, Ric Flair. And it looks like Gordon Sully's WNN has been completely neutered at this point. No mention of the WWF or any other per- wrestling promotion on the face of the earth other than the NWA. Yeah, maybe there's just too much going on for the, in the NWA for him to be worrying about other companies. I'll cheat, but he, he does pick it up a little bit going forward. Not nearly as much as it was when they first started, but he right. does a little bit. He dabbles a little bit, which is it's nice to see still. We get one of the monologues between Jim Ross and Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette uses this opportunity to rib Joe Pettacino once again. He says that he heard Joe Pettacino was in town and went through a Sara Lee factory, and now they're filing for bankruptcy. So there's your Joe Pettacino joke of the week. Back to the ring. Wildfire. Tommy Rich taking on Wild Bill Irwin. That's a scary thought. As the match gets going, we hear Lance Russell and Bob Cottle on commentary. Tommy Rich out to the old All My Rowdy Friends song, which eventually morphs into one of the Monday Night Football type themes, <laughs> you know, coming over tonight to or here on Monday night. So for those who never knew, that was Hank Williams Jr. And Tommy Rich started it all here. It was it was wrestling before it was football, Steve. Yeah, that's about the only thing good Tommy Rich is good for at this point. <laughs> this is theme music. He is so boring to watch, man. Woo. I don't know what's going on with Tommy. I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I love him to death, man, but I don't get this run. I don't get this push. Tommy Rich works the arm bar, believe it or not, and Bill Irwin sure. takes over with an inverted atomic drop. Tommy Rich, though, makes the comeback with a hangman's neckbreaker. looked like he almost surprised himself when he hit the move. And I put down in my notes, it's like they're moving in slow motion. Everything they're doing is being done at lesser than typical speed, even the, not just the spots, but even running off the ropes. It's just everything felt really slow here to me. And Bill Irwin lands the hot shot on Tommy Rich. That's a finisher infringement. Eddie Gilbert should have a word with him. And Irwin makes the pin, but Tommy Rich gets his foot on the ropes. However, Irwin doesn't realize that, and he argues with the referee while Tommy Rich, the baby face, schoolboys are in from behind. Cheap finish. Tommy Rich does get the win. Eight minutes and 14 seconds. And we're on a roll here on this power hour between the Cuban match and Rich and Irwin. Oh, man, I was falling asleep <laughs> watching these first couple matches. Thankfully, it picks up towards the end here. But, yeah, this was, uh, like again, my notes. Thankfully, this one's over, and uh, there's not a lot to it. If you've seen any Tommy Rich from 1989, this match is no different. And I didn't really think of it that way, but you're spot on. It did feel like it was slow motion, man. Like, these guys were molasses out there. 
And it really sticks out when you got guys like Muda, Sting, Flying Brian on the card. You see those guys flying around, and then these two come out there, and it's just like, holy shit, well, snooze fest. The Cubans moving at a faster pace than these guys. So you don't even have to name name drop Muda and Sting and Pillman. I mean, get no, Norman in Greg there and move faster than this. Greg Evans was looking better than these guys. Yeah, it's it's rough. It is. It's, it's time for Funk's Grill. And this was an interesting choice of uh, uh, gentlemen to join Funk's Grill. We haven't seen anyone like this on the a show before. I did notice this time there was no backdrop. There was no logo. They didn't film this in center stage or wherever they normally film this. They're actually in an arena. You see the fans in the background. So it's basically Terry Funk doing a promo with the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering. Before the promo starts, though, uh, Funk wants to t- touch base on Ric Flair. He says Ric Flair doesn't have the guts to show up in the show. So that's why he invited guys who, who, who have guts and that being the road warriors. However, that's about as nice as, uh, as funk gets with the roadies as he suggests the road warriors have big muscles, but no brains. Funk even mocks Ellering for having issues trying to take care of Paulie dangerously, suggesting that Paulie is even tougher than precious Paul Ellering. Uh, Ellering hears enough. And he tells funk that he's already swimming in deep water with flair. And now he's swimming further from shore when he messes with the road warriors. Hawk suggests they beat the bleep out of Funk, and I'm not bleeping or censoring myself. That's actually what they do on the episode. I have no idea what Hawk said here. Yeah, I don't either. I do remember the beep. <laughs> he said Funk won't be doing any toothpaste commercials after uh, with the teeth he has. And, uh, this, is, this is what I envisioned Funk's grill to be. You need people on here that's going to be confrontational with Funk, let him get a little back and forth. Obviously, that's not what we get. So this is one of those rare instances where Funk's Grill is actually pretty entertaining, especially with the Road Warriors out there. I thought it was a step in the right direction, but I feel like it's still nowhere near where it needs to be. This is more brother love-ish, however. With yes. uh, While there's no storyline going on, the, the guy doing the interview is poking and prodding at the baby faces, and they are verbally jousting back. So I do agree with you. It's a step in the right direction. My issue here is brother love was a interview guy terry funk has been competing in the main events so it's still a little weird the dynamics weird still terry funk doing this yeah it definitely feels beneath him we're supposed to take him serious as an nwa title contender and he's out here playing jokes with norman and making fun of brian pillman who are nowhere near the main event level just yet this feels like it's beneath him maybe i don't i'm assuming they brought him in for the push but this is just something he maybe asked for or they thought it'd be a good idea. I don't know how this came about, but it should have just stuck with the danger zone. Yeah, and uh, it worked for Roddy Piper, who was also on top during Piper's pit, but it just it doesn't work here with Terry Funk, just a completely different type of gift of gab. As we go to the yeah, main event of the Power Hour, it's Sting taking on the great Muda for the vacant NWA TV title. Of course, Muda has Gary Hart in his quarter. I noted here the crowd was very hot. I don't know if it was the entire night or just for this match, but they seem very lively here as the match gets going and they feel each other out. Sting, eventually with several quick pins, a schoolboy, a sunset flip, an inside cradle, and a top rope body block. And Muda has to powder out, at which point even Jim Ross and Cornette note that Muda wasn't even prepared for the speed of Sting here tonight in this matchup. And it's at this point that Terry Funk comes out to try to distract Sting Nick Patrick, of course, the referee at this point, sends Terry Funk away, but not before it causes a distraction and allows Muda to take over and work Sting over on the floor outside the ring. Sting makes the comeback, and he takes over also. 
throws Muda back to the floor, and he takes over on the outside. So a little tit for tat there. And the two get up on the apron. We see a brawl on the apron, and this was a pretty fun spot here. To me, this is not the way the announcer sold it, but it looked like Sting was trying to run down the apron and, and hit Muda with the Stinger splash into the ring post. But Muda moves, and Sting smashes into the ring post. The announcer sell it as he kind of went for an elbow, hit his elbow into the post. I thought that was less effective. I, to me, it looked like it was a pretty cool spot, though. I, I liked it. Yeah, I did too. It was pretty. It was unique and different for the time, and uh, it's unfortunate the the commentary team didn't necessarily pick up on what exactly was trying to be done there. Definitely took away from it a little bit. But it did allow the great Muda to get back on top. He nails his handspring elbow. Sting comes back. He tries the old Eddie Gilbert hot shot, but he bumps Muda into Nick Patrick, and they completely miss the ropes. I'm not sure if he was supposed to connect on the ropes or not. But Muda did land into Nick Patrick, and Nick Patrick takes a bump to the floor. Meanwhile, Sting's in the ring with the Stinger Splash and the Scorpion, but there's no referee. And that's when Gary Hart comes in with the foreign object, nails Sting in the back of the head, and knocks Sting out cold at least momentarily as Muda covers. One, two, Sting kicks out, and the crowd goes nuts, and so did I. I, I knew, based on when the title change happens, that this wasn't it. But it still almost shocked me because you didn't see people kicking out of the old foreign object spots back then very often. So really cool false finish here between Sting and Muda. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when things aren't overdone to death. Uh, this is definitely something you did not expect. Once you see that foreign object back then, we were trained to think, well, that's it. It's over. The good guy's getting screwed. So it was definitely a nice uh, change of pace there as far as uh, teasing the crowd and getting them into a frenzy a little bit. It was very well done for sure. Yeah, whenever a tag team partner was coming off the middle rope with a knee behind the referee's back or a manager was hitting a baby face with a, a foreign object, typically that meant the end back then, but not here. Good spot. Sting had Muda in the scorpion. There was no ref. Gary Hart comes in and blasts him in the back of the head, knocks him out, knocks him silly anyway. Sting does manage to kick out, but Muda goes up top for the moonsault, but lands on the knees of Sting. Sting back up for a second Stinger splash. And he mounts Muda in the corner for the 10 punches of doom. But Gary Hart up on the apron, he grabs Sting and yanks him out over the top rope to the floor, causing a disqualification. Sting picks up the win in 13 minutes, 49 seconds. But there's no title change on a disqualification. And I wrote here, even for a vacant title? Question mark. I don't know about that, Steve. I've seen them do that quite often in the past for a vacant title. It's how they get out of having anybody do a job. Uh, well, uh, if you've learned anything from 1989, they're going to do what they want or whatever fits the story that day or that week. So officiating rules, the way things are supposed to be, is all out the window. It all depends on what they want to do that week. Uh, I felt like with the DQ, I thought it was another shit finish on TV, but I get it because they're trying to sell a house. Uh, I think this ends up in the Omni. and right. uh, So I'm assuming they're just trying to prolong that to get to that point. But when you see a screw job finish, hopefully you, you know you want to pay to the house, go to the house show to actually get the finish. So it may not be what they want. However, I thought they did a decent enough job to be able to make me want to go pay to see it because this was a hell of a match. It was very fun. Yeah, and obviously um, for anyone who hasn't been following the Grenade, or and I've mentioned this before during the Bash Tour, beyond the Bash Tour, they've been doing these Sting and Muda matches basically all around the loop for the vacant TV title, and they've all been ending with Sting going over in a disqualification. So. This TV taping just happens to be another in the line of the same finish. I'm not saying it was the identical finish. It's possible. We've seen them use identical finishes on TV in the past. But 
Either way, Sting's been going over by DQ everywhere, which is why the TV title hasn't been changing. We will see someone win the TV title by pinfall here before this episode of The Grenade ends, though. I won't spoil it yet, but the match goes down September 3rd, like you said, in the Omni. And when we get there, we'll talk all about that. But before we move on to the Wrestler of the Week, I wanted to say this. This match went nearly 14 minutes, and I believe, without going back and looking, their match at the Bash went just a little over half of this. It felt a lot more fast-paced. They were trying to get more in. This one was for more methodical, and I don't mean slow and boring methodical, just more of a wrestling match. It, this almost felt like 1995-96 Sting and Flair, where you they're just going through the motions, but not in a bad way. They're doing all of their stuff, but telling a great story. It wasn't a bad match by any means. It's great for TV. This was a damn good match, and uh, definitely you can tell these guys work a lot and they're comfortable with each other. But like like you mentioned, Sting and Flair, Sting and Muda, they get the best out of each other every single time. Muda's young and impressionable, so he's out there just trying to make a statement. Like, I'm great. I want everybody to see it every chance I get. And Sting's the same way at this point. So, yeah, like you mentioned, they're going through the motions, but it's not in a bad way at all. They're going through them going through the motions is better than like 90% of the wrestlers in general. So, um, Definitely a very entertaining match. And this is one of those, I think this is one of those that's on the Hidden Gems that's on the network. If you can go check it out, it's pretty cool. Definitely a good match to check out. It's time. It's that time. Wrestler of the Week for September 1st. And I couldn't believe the name they they fed to us this week. It's the Wildfire. Tommy Rich, after sitting there and watching him go through that match with Bill Irwin, they dare tell us that he is the Wrestler of the Week. I call bullshit, Steve. In fact, Jim Cornette had promised last week on TV that he was going to show everyone who it was that was picking all these wrestlers of the week. And I couldn't wait. And I, I remembered that. So I said, wait a minute, whoever picked this Tommy Rich shit, I want to figure out who this is. And true to his word, Cornette kept his promise. He revealed who it was and I was getting ready to cuss him out. And then lo and behold, it was Klondike Bill. And it all made sense. If anybody listens to the Tony Schiavone podcast from the very beginning, the Klondike Bill stories are tremendous. And Steve, I know you don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts, but I'm, I really encourage you to even go back and let Klondike Bill, to use the term mildly, was a freak <laughs> of sorts uh, with, with the ladies. I, I'm so glad they honored Klondike Bill with a spot here on the show. Of course, at this point, Klondike was uh, in charge of running the ring crew and I think he built some of the cages and did things like that for the shows. So it was really cool to see Klondike Bill getting a spot here on the show. And basically his story is every week he goes to the office and they give him a envelope with wrestler of the week. And every week he loses it. So he just picks his own. And this week he chose Tommy Rich. I wonder what they were doing together this week. Who knows? But yeah, I thought it was a pretty clever way to sell like why some of these, uh, Picks have been to what they've been. Obviously, if anybody's been watching Tommy Rich for the last week, uh, he's been trash and definitely nowhere near wrestler of the week, but it all makes sense. It sounds like it's a joke, so why even do it at this point? We're going to move on to September 2nd, and we're going to start talking about syndication, Steve. And these next two weeks of syndication make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Pro this week and definitely worldwide next week. And I can't wait till we get there, but... We're still in oh. September 2nd. So let's talk NWA Pro. Of course, once again, hosted by Lance Russell and Bob Cottle. I think they're still in Greenville here. As the show opens with a Ric Flair promo, who says it's the first time in three months he'll be wrestling on Pro. Followed by the announcer saying that it's the first time since April 
Ric Flair will be wrestling on Pro. I'm pretty sure April wasn't three months ago, so I have no idea what the hell was going on here, and I don't think anyone else does either at this point. Show kicks off, well, World Tag Team Champions, the Freebirds, taking on Bob Emery and Mark Smith, and I just, all I wrote here was, Ugh! And Michael Hayes, DDT on Emery, gets the win, 4 minutes, 22 seconds, and Michael Hayes tries to show off some pubes like he's 1995 HBK to end this segment. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God that's about as far as it went. This was garbage. You see a trend here so far? I mean, they haven't given me... It was tough getting through this first few uh, matches on these shows, man. Uh, it picks up next week's episode. Not for the gray, but like on the 9-9 shows. They pick up, but some of these early ones on 9-2 were pretty rough, man. Pretty rough. Well, we did have that stinging mood of Jim, so that's helping us going right yeah. now. <sighs> we get the commercials on this episode of Pro. I noticed there was a commercial for Roller Games, and I had to mark that down yes. for two reasons. One, because you just Skyped me about Roller Games just a few days ago. Two, <laughs> because I just happened to notice uh, they had a Roller Games marathon on about a week or two ago. I DVR'd, oh, I missed like the first four episodes. I think there's like 13 episodes total. I DVR'd most of them, at least eight of them. And I haven't watched them yet, but yes, I remember Roller Games. I remember when they came on. I remember watching a couple of them way back in 1989. Didn't last beyond that one season. If you go back and watch them, I'm sure you guys will enjoy the nostalgia, but there's probably a pretty good reason why. Basically, Roller Games is professional wrestling on roller skates, if you don't know. And Dave Meltzer, (laughs) in the heyday of the Roller Games way back in the 60s and, and when it was really hot the first time around, he was a big, big fan, monster fan. I think he wrote a book, or he certainly knew just as much about roller games as he did about professional wrestling. So that tells you how much he loved the roller games. I remember he, reading one of the observers from 89 where he said, this is not going to be a roller games <laughs> newsletter. So uh, <laughs> I went down the rabbit hole on YouTube with the roller games, man. I, I saw the commercial myself, and I was like, I'm going to check this out. And actually the guy, I think it's, I can't remember, Dave, the Dave guy. Sam's yeah, maybe or something like that. Yeah, David Sam's. He owns the footage, obviously. I think it's his. And he had him upgraded to HD and put him on his YouTube channel. I think there's the there's, there's like three or four episodes on there. Uh, the the debut and then I think the All-Star Game and maybe one more. So uh, I got fell down that rabbit hole. But um, yeah, pretty cool. But definitely, like you said, wrestling on roller skates. Yeah, and... um all I remember from the Observer was Dave Meltzer putting over Roller Games one time here, worrying, concerned that Roller Games might have an effect on the Clash of the Champions 8 rating. Get real, Dave. Really? Yeah, really. And <laughs> we'll move on with the show, though, as the 10,000-time uh, VIP job of the month, Lee Scott, teams up with Tony Super to take on the SST and Yip. We get that backdrop again as the SST launch Lee Scott into another world and back to the canvas. And uh, they redo that spot we saw with, um, I'm not sure if it was Emery or someone else, a few weeks ago where the SST had a job guy jump up on Samu's back and for no reason stand on his back. No other reason other than Sofatu can come off the top rope with a clothesline on him. This time it made more sense. Had they done this the first time around, at least the psychology would have made more sense here. Because Lee Scott actually jumps on top of Samu's back and stands up to turn it into a spot. But when he tries it a second time is when Fatu's ready and clotheslines poor Lee off the top of of Samu's back there. Samu with the diving headbutt. 
Fatu with the big splash. Whole thing only went 51 seconds. Tony Super never even got legal, legally got in the ring here as the SST just mauled Lee Scott one more time. Uh, this is what I've been missing. Um, I'm pretty sure this Samoan's like, oh, shit, we got Lee Scott again? Can't wait. My note here is uh, Lee Scott is the true MVP of NWA 1989. He, he is. Uh, I look forward to every single one of his squash matches. They're, they're so damn entertaining. Even the Tommy Rich one? Besides that one. Okay. You, you know, you, you get one stinker a year, and that's his. And that's not really his fault. That's Tommy Rich's fault, man. It's the Midnight Express to the ring with Jim Cornette to take on Trent Knight and Cruel Connection. Knight looks to be bulking up a little bit here, getting a little bit of beef on the body. He was already in pretty solid shape, but now he's looking like he's putting on a few extra pounds. Yeah, he looks good, though. Jim Cornette with an insert promo. He says the Midnight Express is the tag team of the 90s. Who wasn't the tag team of the 90s in 1989? He points out that they're the former World and United States Tag Team Champions. They held them both at the same time, the only team to do it before, and they will do it again. Bobby Eaton in the ring, and I don't know why I wrote this down. It's it's freaking obvious, plain as day. I wrote down, Bobby Eaton is so crisp. No shit. Stan Lane even comes in and works this week, even with the uh, tendon issue. He's looking pretty okay here. Lane at one point nails an enzigiri, and according to Lance Russell, it's called a flying foot kick. So, thank you, Lancer. <laughs> so you thought Eric Bischoff with the, the back leg round kick and all that good stuff was something else. Lance Russell coining the term flying foot kick. I might have to use that one moving forward. Do they not know? Like, has it been dubbed an insecurity yet? No. <laughs> hell no. Hell no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, what did you, this is the thing. In 1989, the moves didn't really have names. Uh, what's Bischoff, Bischoff's excuse in 95, 96? These names are out there by then, right? Right. Well, you know, all the na- no moves had names to begin with other than typical holds that were actually came from amateur wrestling. So it was the original initial announcers who took over wrestling on the radio and eventually on TV that got to name all of these moves. And that's why they are what they are. And uh, I, so I guess with the infancy of the Inzagiri, or at least one of the early proponents, Stan Lane, Lance Russell had every right to name it. And he named it the Flying Foot Kick. So I think in honor of... Lance Russell moving forward. I'm just going to call it the flying foot kick. Love you, Lance. Sounds good to me, man. And it's the double flapjack on Trent Knight with the Midnight Express getting the win in three minutes and 16 seconds. It was a fun squash. It reminds me why I like the Midnight Express. Even Stan Lane came to work this week. Yeah, it wasn't bad. They they were really moving fluid. The tags were coming hot and heavy, and there's really no downtime. Even though it was three minutes of a squash, it it didn't feel like that at all. It, It felt really fast to the point my only issue so far on this show is the samoans got one minute the midnight's got three minutes the Freebirds get four and a half minutes i don't know who's making these time limit decisions here but somebody needs to get in check with these Freebirds. watch a couple of these matches and maybe switch some things around as we move on to joe pettacino knows this was a fun episode of pettacino knows for me because it was blatantly obvious that this was the most generic pettacino knows in the history of pettacino knows because he didn't even know what he was throwing to. They left it open-ended, very generic. He says, let's go to these two men who have an upcoming match against one another. Never mentions who, because he had no idea who they were going to fill in these spots. It winds up being Ric Flair and Terry Funk. You would think he would mention those names had he known, and they're both guys cut a quick promo promoting their Texas death match at the upcoming Worcester, Massachusetts Memorial Auditorium show. But I, you talk about generic. At least Sean Mooney knew he was throwing it to. Let's go to Skinner. 
Let's go to Virgil. Let's go to the Mountie. Joe Pettacino. Let's go to these two men who have a match. Yeah, when the NWA shows up at this arena, it's great action. That's so lazy. Yeah. Um, do a voiceover and dub. put the damn name in. Who cares? If you're going to do lazy stuff like this, I mean, it takes two seconds, I'm sure. I, I don't know why they would even mess with this. If they're not going to put the time and effort into it, I mean, it's time to just pull the plug. It's a waste of time. And they show the same Ric Flair, Terry Funk promos that they've been showing for like the last two and a half months. Yeah, and that was, that was my big question too. Why have Pettacino knows if it's not really being taken seriously? Anybody could have sat there and said this. You could have had a voiceover of someone saying this and throwing to the two promos so it's just like they're paying joe to do next to nothing at this point did you say it earlier that uh jim ross didn't want to be the, the fattest guy on the, on the in the company so that's yeah. why joe has a job is that what that, I, that might be it yeah that well, maybe that seems long, to be more truer truer and truer yeah. as the weeks go on <laughs> yeah exactly i was gonna say the same thing the longer we get here for the longer we get the more true that sounds NWA Pro is just now catching up to Rick Steiner and Robin Green on their date. The trouble with that is, it's their first date at the zoo that aired on World Championship Wrestling like three or four weeks ago. But we're just now getting it here a week after we've already seen the new and improved Robin Green, uh, a.k.a. woman, last week on World Championship Wrestling. So to say Pro is behind the times is an understatement here. And just to recap everyone on this zoo date really quick, it's Rick Steiner taking Robin to go see the zoos, and she won't allow Rick to see Willie B. the gorilla. She wants to see elephants. She wants to eat ice cream. She thinks Rick should be able to cut in line for the ice cream because he's a star. Her ice cream actually falls on the ground, so she takes Rick and won't won't let him have a bite. She seems like a real bitch here, to be honest with you, Steve. Well, yeah. This is what Gordon Sully was alluding to on the Power Hour. He must have watched Pro that was airing the next day, a day early, and knew what to talk about. This might all make sense now. Maybe it's Gordon who's in charge of syndication. And ah, ah, one too many screwdrivers, and these things are coming out weeks, weeks late. Brother, I suplayed that tape over to the studio. Jim Ross makes fun of him, too, every time he brings up the name Gordon. So he does does the ah, ah thing, too. (laughs) So... Well, everybody does the oh, uh, uh It's more of an uh, homage. It's more like they're paying respects to Gordon when they do that. Um, God, who used to do that on, on, the, on the pro show? I don't want to get off topic. So, so, but I've heard so many guys do that over the years. Uh, God bless you, Gordon. We're just screwing with you. We're having fun here in 1989, Gordon Soli world. But he, he's really been a great addition to the show, the early, the early Power Hour WNNs, and his contribution at the bash alone. And, of course, what he'll end up doing with the commentary at uh, New York Knockout as well. Yeah, he, he's, it's a treat to listen to him. I don't know if I can handle him like every week doing commentary, but you know those one-offs and things like that, just makes that, that match he's doing have that big fight feel. Like it's extra special, and, and they definitely utilized him to that, that benefit there. So, yeah, at this uh, point, yeah. they're doing two things very wise with him. They're using him sporadically, and they're using him when it's necessary. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I mean, they're looking at things like, this is important, so we're going to utilize Gordon here, rather than just throwing him out yeah. here for a Tommy Rich and Bill Irwin match. I can't even imagine listening yeah. to Gordon's monotone call during that match. <laughs> he wasn't sleeping watching the action. He was going to be asleep listening to it. Uh, he was passed out. Same difference. 
promo time. <laughs> yeah, Lance Russell with Terry Funk and Gary Hart. So finally, the Funker has to be interviewed by Lance Russell again. And you can already see the disdain and the disgust on Lance Russell's face when he has to interview Terry Funk. I love their dynamic because there's really no explanation behind it. But Lance Russell despises Terry Funk, and it's so obvious here. In these brief times, we get to see the two on TV together. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like Vince McMahon when he's selling things that he doesn't like or care for on the, mon- on the Monday night shows. Uh, Lance just has that disgusted look that just makes you hate Terry Funk more because for whatever <laughs> reason, announcers have that empathetic feel towards them. They're, low- they're not lowly, but they're, they're just announcers. They can't really defend themselves. So when you got somebody like Terry Funk just going in on him and the possibility that he could get beat up or something like that, uh, you feel bad for him. And, uh, Funk, man, he does for whatever reason he does not like him, and it it really helped Funk in '89. I feel like obviously I don't know how many people was watching Pro to get this experience, but Lance and Funk had great chemistry, and it it looked really good on TV. So um, definitely entertaining to watch. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed this, but Terry Funk was drenched in sweat, clearly from a match here, even though it wasn't aired on this particular episode of Pro. Terry Funk wants to talk the JTEX connection is what he calls it here. And he talks about Lance Russell, Bob Cottle, even Jim Ross are ignorant fools. They all claim that Ric Flair won the battle in Baltimore. Terry Funk says he won. I don't know about that, but we'll see who wins the war before 1989 ends. And the show continues with flying Brian Pillman taking on the bounty hunter, Al Green, Teddy Long with an insert promo. He says Pillman hasn't had enough yet, but next time it's all over when he steps in the ring with Norman at the Clash. And Brian Pillman with drop kicks and a nice-looking sling blade here. The bounty hunter misses a charge out of the corner, goes out to the floor. Brian Pillman with a falling body block off the top rope to the floor. I'm not sure if he slipped, so he just fell onto, onto him, but or if he intentionally took the, uh, the dive like this, but it looked like Brian Pillman fell off the top rope onto the bounty hunter. And back inside, it's the bulldog, and the top rope splashed to the back, which Pillman hasn't used in weeks, so it made me wonder when this was taped, actually. Uh, but Brian Pillman gets the win here in a minute and 52 seconds. Yeah, fun little match. It was cool to see Pillman with the bigger guy, like the Bounty Hunter. Bounty Hunter is huge. Pillman did pretty well with him. And I, I put down here, the, it was cool looking, that crossbody. Like you said, I don't know if he just fell off or he slipped or what the case was, but it looked different and it looked pretty cool. So um, Pillman's looking awesome. And it's back to the round mound of sound. Joe Pettacino knows more localized promos this time with Gary Hart and Sting discussing the ongoing TV title matches between the Stinger and the Great Muda. Back to the ring, it's NWA World Champion Ric Flair taking on the Cuban Assassin. Trouble here is, this is a replay from the August 18th Power Hour, taped way back on August 14th in Charleston, West Virginia. And there's a lot of this shit going on lately, Steve, where they're replaying old matches uh, from Power Hour on future episodes of Main Event and now Pro here. These it's uh, gets confusing at times. Wait, wait, you 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 pointed out an eight man tag to me that they aired twice here. You're like, oh, I thought we already saw that. Well, yeah, it aired on another show, and of course it did. Yeah. So it, it, a lot of this has been happening lately. So not only is pro and even worldwide completely out of sync with the current storylines in the NWA, but they're like rehashing old matches. And I don't mean they're having rematches. I mean they're literally taking footage from other shows and just re-airing them here as if it's new to the fans, which it's not as Ric Flair. This is the match. If anybody remembers when we talked about this a few weeks ago, where Ric Flair tries to reopen an an old blade job, but it doesn't work. 
So they try to sell it like Flair's bleeding, but he's not. And the Cuban yeah. eventually submits to the figure four here in five minutes, seven seconds. Yeah, it's definitely confusing, man. I, you start watching the show, and you're like, okay, yeah, I got the date. We're good. This is it. And then, and then they do something to where it's like you start questioning if you're even watching the right show. Is this the right date? Is this the right show? Is this what I'm supposed to be watching? It definitely makes things confusing, and it's very, very hard to follow. I know a lot of people, like, you know, back in the day, go watch Primetime Wrestling Challenge and Superstars in Order. You can easily do that with WWF because you know that stuff's going to be in good order. But this is, oh, my God, it's so, so difficult and can just zap time if you're if you're not paying attention. So um, hard to tell what the hell they're doing. Yeah, these last four to six weeks have been extremely confusing for me to the point where I don't even question if this show is accurate, the date on the show is accurate until the show's over, because it seems like it always is accurate by the time the show's over. It just feels like it's not because it just seems they're either ahead of things or behind things. They're never like accidentally on time. So the show might be referencing something from three weeks ago, or it might be referencing something that hasn't even happened yet. And we'll get to that next week here, <laughs> not on the grenade, but right here on this episode of the grade next week, the, the weekend of September 8th. So we'll talk all about that, especially when we get to worldwide. Yeah. We continue with this show, however. It's the Steiner Brothers taking on Ron Simmons and Scrap Iron Bill Ford and the Steiner Brothers this week. They're accompanied by Missy Hyatt. And she's out there in a very shiny gold dress. Steve. It looks like wrapping paper. I'd open that present. <laughs> so even though we've already Thank seen you. the new and improved Robin Green on World Championship Wrestling, she hasn't quite gotten there yet on Pro. She's actually in the crowd in her old nerdy gimmick, cheering on. Rick Steiner, as he makes his way to the ring, I, this might be the first time we've seen Robin Green outside of center stage. It was interesting to see her in a real arena. First or second time, maybe. Yeah, this is definitely one of those rare occasions where she was at the shows, not center stage. Um, but yeah, this is where I started to question if I was even watching the right show. Yeah, this uh, threw, threw me off, too, because we, we'll get to that in one second. First, I always got to point out, uh, Scott Center busts out the Frankensteiner on Bill Ford immediately in the match because it's still not a finisher quite yet. But here we go. He's already gone from the company, but it's the Iron Sheik coming to the ring. And that's when I wrote, when was this fucking taped? Not just because the Iron Sheik's still on my TV, but because he's still recruiting Ron Simmons, who was on a danger zone a couple of weeks ago with the Iron Sheik. None of this makes any fucking sense. Ron Simmons jumps down off the apron, per the usual, and praises the Ayatollah flag as he leaves with the Sheiky, and poor Bill Ford's left in the ring to take the Steiner line, the overhead belly-to-belly from Rick, and then the rolling belly-to-belly from Scott. Bill Ford goes down in two and a half minutes. Terrible, terrible, terrible fucking uh, timeline. I have no idea what's going on with the NWA right now, and and syndication. Yeah, syndication's a train wreck. So uh, like my notes, my first few notes was uh, they're doing this shit again. What the hell? Give it a rest. You know, the Ron Simmons leaving his partner. And then I was like, Robin's in the crowd and she hadn't transformed yet. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Is this even the right show? And I was like, nothing makes sense at all. This stuff is so far out of order and whack that it makes your head explode. Because like I said, you, you feel like you're watching the right show and then all of a sudden something shows up or happens that makes you feel like you just wasted your 30 minutes. And uh, you're watching the show from like three weeks ago. So I'll, I'm starting to get to where you're at, man, where you're just like, you know what? F it. I'm just going to watch it. That's what this show's labeled as. And uh, this is what I'm going to watch. And if it's not accurate, it's not accurate. 
I don't, I don't really give a shit. It's not my problem. Uh, <laughs> Unless something absolutely it, sticks out and shows us that it's absolutely a different date. I think by the end of every episode, you can pretty much confirm. Yeah, no, this is the right date. Even yeah, if, even it if it feels, feels like way. it's not, there's always something somewhere on the show that points you in the right direction for the accurate date. It's just crazy how off these syndicated shows are right now. And as far back behind time as pro seems to be worldwide seems to be ahead of schedule. Yeah. And we'll talk about that. Like you mentioned in a few, in about an hour or so. And we close off this episode of pro it's promo time. It's Ric Flair, the stinger and flying Brian Pillman Pillman getting that rub out there with the two big baby face stars. Brian Pillman says Norman has an eating disorder. And the key that Teddy Long has is the key to Norman's fridge. I did like that part of the promo. Sting talks, Muda and Terry Funk. Ric Flair puts over all three, the trio together. That's Sting, Pillman, and Flair. And, of course, Flair also says he's going to be taking care of Terry Funk coming up. They have those Texas death matches on the loop. And then, of course, the big tag team match at the Clash. And I just thought, I wrote, I wrote right here, Steve, what a trio visual. What could have been? And I wonder why Flair cooled down on Brian Pillman, put Pillman with Zink, put Pillman, you know, he did, he did book him to work Luger at Halloween Havoc. So it wasn't like he gave up on Pillman, but it looked almost like they were trying to form a unit here to work against the JTEX Corporation. As you've, 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 and I'll let you say your piece. I know you've had your own thoughts on this as well, but it's like Pillman's getting to stand here with these two big guys. He's barely been in the company, but a few, but a matter of a few months. I think he came in the beginning of July, and here he is already standing yeah. here with Ric Flair, the world champion, and Sting, the next in line. And they all look great. I mean, they, they all look like you know stars. Uh, I can't imagine what Pillman was feeling here to get this rub this early in his run. He was probably loving it, and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I talked to you about it a little bit. You know, it'd be cool, like not necessarily, maybe not full blown four horsemen type deal. Right. Yep. Cause that's more of a heel stable and things like that. But like you mentioned, a visual, a trio of three guys like that, that could have definitely worked. You know, you go ahead a few months down the road and if they didn't do the turn on Sting to get to the title match and when he tore his ACL, I think it was uh, clash 10. That would have been a real cool trio there. You know, Sting, uh, Flair and Pillman in the cage against Buzz, and Muda and whoever, Funk, Slater, whatever the case may be, yeah. just to kind of finish off the feud with JTEX. That would have been real cool. And if they didn't do a stupid Ironman tournament at Starcade, you probably could have had a really nice trio of matches there with uh, Sting and Muda, Flair, and Funk maybe one more time, and then Pillman and Slater or Buzz or whoever comes in by then. I don't know. But you could have definitely done something. I don't mean for like a, an extended period, but these three together, it would have been pretty damn entertaining. Even if you could have made it a, a six-man cage at Halloween Havoc, it was the Thunderdome cage, right? So it was a bigger one could easily fit six guys in there. So uh, it would have been very cool, but obviously it wasn't in the works, and I'm interested to know why Flair kind of cooled him off. Maybe he got too big for his britches. Uh, I don't know. Or maybe he was getting too over, and Flair didn't really like it because he wanted Sting to be that next guy. So I was wondering that too, but, uh, but then I look at this like, why is he even pushing him to begin with? If he, It really feels like when Flair's out there with him, he's trying his damnedest to get Pillman over to the next level. So yeah. if Pillman did get over to the next level, I don't see why Ric Flair would have cared. I think he, he, he see, he comes off like he genuinely wants Brian Pillman to succeed at this point anyway. So yeah, it's a very yeah, odd. Yeah. And of course you talk about another match down the road. You want a fantasy book just for a second with Terry Funk. Again, the issue with that is Jim Hurd, who retired Terry Funk without Terry Funk's knowledge 
When that match was booked and created, Terry Funk had no idea that he was retiring and becoming an announcer. I don't think he cared for it either. And if you're wondering about the Iron Man tournament, well, that was Jim Hurd's idea as well. So, there you have it. Jim Hurd, thanks, buddy. He didn't say much. He didn't make many decisions, but it feels like every decision he did make was the wrong one. It was terrible. Yes. Yeah. It was the opposite of what needed to be done. I'll put it this way. There was, a, there was a kid by the name of Dave, I won't say his name here on the show, but he sat at my lunch table, and he barely ever spoke. Good, good guy. I, I, uh, he was a friend of mine uh, back in high school. Never spoke a word, barely ever, but when he did, it was the funniest thing you ever heard all week at, at the table. And I, I liken the opposite of this to uh, Jim Hurd here. Doesn't do shit, but when he does, it sucks. And that's basically Jim Hurd in a nutshell here. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you can't sum it up any better than that. And we'll move on to NWA Worldwide for September 2nd. Jim Ross, of course, hosting alone. They still haven't learned their lesson here. Teddy Long promo opens the show up. He says, Destiny has provided Teddy Long with the baddest tag team in wrestling history. The Skyscrapers will take out everyone, including the world champion Ric Flair. So Ric Flair doing that Dusted Rose booking, baby, will you just mention me for the hell of mentioning me, baby? Get me on the TV, if you will, in public, if you will, baby. Yes. You really think so? Uh, why else mention Ric Flair by name when what? you're a tag team? I mean, tag teams aren't really walking tag around. Team. Like, uh, Demolition weren't walking around talking shit about Hulk Hogan, necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, no, no. I, I get that, but I also feel like when you got somebody the size of Sid and Spivey, I, I think a lot of people in their brain immediately think, well, why are these two a tag team when they're so dang big and powerful that they should be singles? I I, I I don't like the road warriors. Yeah, they're big and like that, but I feel like they that's how they started. That's how they, they came in or whatever, even though they may have not, I don't know. It's just weird. Like a different dynamic. I feel like, I think Sid and Spivey look better as singles, even though they're a tag team here. So that makes sense to me. It's not like Sam and Fatu are talking about going after Ric Flair. It's the skyscrapers and they, they're believable to me anyway. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue any of that. It's just uh, typically a wrestler isn't cutting a promo about someone unless they're typically in a program with them. So to only name drop Ric Flair, it sticks out pretty well here, I thought. Yeah, and I, I agree with you there, too. It, it, it always felt weird because I don't think it ever happens, does it? Uh, it doesn't from these no, two. Not no. for a while, anyway. So. Not for a, a very long time. I'm not even sure if we ever, ever. get that. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we do see one of the skyscrapers here in singles competition. It's Big Sid Vicious. Company to the ring by Teddy Long and Dan Spivey taking on Joe Cruz. Sid doesn't need any help here. Pounds down poor Cruz in the corner until the referee has to stop the match in just two minutes. And I wrote here, back to this shit. I'm not a fan. I like to beat him up, hit your big spots, pin the guy. I do not want to see this ref stop and shit again. But uh, I did like how the continuity here, it wasn't too long ago we saw Sid pull Dan Spivey off a jobber during a ref stoppage. This time it's Spivey pulling Sid off. And I grabbed some screen caps here because Spivey's eyes... And his smile are absolutely insane here as he's smiling while he pulls Sid off of murdering poor Joe Cruz. <laughs> I think these guys are great and they're they're hitting their stride, man. I know I've been saying that for a few weeks now, but this is what I remember from the skyscrapers. And uh, it's, it's fun as hell to watch. Terry Funk and Gary Hart promo time. We see a replay once again of that six-man brawl from World Championship Wrestling with J-Tex and the baby faces. It's where Ric Flair... Blast the branding iron over the arm of Dick Slater. And, of course, we, we learned that uh, Flair has broken Dick Slater's arm. They announced that live this Tuesday night, this 
Tuesday night is the clash, Steve. That's not true. A week from this Tuesday night is the clash. They seem to think it's in a matter of a few days. They've probably been hanging out with Gordon Sully this week. Well, you know what? I, I didn't I didn't put two and two together, but if you think about it, <laughs> and we know what happens on Worldwide next week, um, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, it does, you know? in, in that sense. But in the real <laughs> world, this makes no sense. Yeah, absolutely. It makes no sense. But in Worldwide worldview, it makes all the sense in the world. And during this promo, they say that Dick Slater will be watching from home with his broken arm while Funk does the wrestling. I'm afraid that's going to be the other way around, which we'll get to when we get back to the clash. Tag team action. It's the Road Warriors with Paul Ellering in their corner taking on Tommy Angel and Scrap Iron Bill Ford. We get a Paul E. Dangerously insert promo here. He says the SST cost the Road Warriors the tag titles in the tournament. They've put Paul Ellering in the hospital. They've even bloodied Road Warrior Hawk in the Marietta Massacre. And they will end the feud at Clash of the Champions. And the rebuttal is in the ring where the Road Warriors destroy Bill Ford in two minutes with the Doomsday Device. You don't really get the Doomsday Device very much on TV, so it was, it was nice to see. Um, but yeah, this is, <laughs> this is your typical Road Warrior squash. Tommy Angel got killed by Hawk like, almost immediately. Yeah, it's um, good. It's so, cool seeing some of the job guys I really remember here coming in now. Tommy Angel, and this, we'll see Tim Parker here soon, and uh, Ricky Nelson, and guys like that. So it's cool to see the next wave of job guys kind of replacing the 89 guard. We're kind of preparing for the next guard of, of, of job guys here as Jim Cornette and Kevin Sullivan start getting control of not necessarily the book, but they're in charge of putting the TV matches together while Ric Flair actually books the storylines. Uh, I forgot to mention that at the top of the show, Eddie Gilbert's out as Booker here pretty much any time now because he pisses Ric Flair off. So Eddie Gilbert shit canned off the committee. Jim Cornette winds up replacing him. And Cornette said, Gilbert used to always give him shit. Hey, you replaced me. You got me fired. And Cornette would have to tell Eddie, well, Eddie, actually, you were you were fired, and then they f- replaced you with me. I, I wasn't planned. It wasn't like I replaced you. That's why you were fired. You were fired, and then I replaced you, if that makes any sense. But Jim Cornette, actually, he did a show, one of those kayfabe commentary shows, where he actually shows some of the old fall booking sheets. He still had where he penciled. He showed you exactly. I might even try to take a screen cap if I don't get in trouble with Corny for it or kayfabe commentaries and just show everybody a screen cap on Twitter of how the booking sheets looked when Cornette would book the Saturday night show, how he would pencil everybody in and things. Very cool, very unique stuff to, to have a look at. That yeah, definitely sounds interesting. You know, for all the shoots and everything that's out there, uh, kayfabe commentaries is probably the ones I've watched the most. They were different when they started and um, they were very entertaining. So cheap plug there for uh, kayfabe and Sean Oliver and those guys. Yeah. And it's time for Pettacino Knows, and this week it's there on Worldwide, so he doesn't sit at the desk. He's actually in the crowd here, wherever the hell we are. I think it's Georgia. And he wants to talk Clash of the Champions 8 as well. He talks as if Robin Green has already transformed. Even though on Pro, she was still a nerd. Here on Worldwide, he's mentioning that it's the new look, Robin Green. And Worldwide is so much more caught up than Pro, it's not even funny. I don't even know how this happened. This is all syndication. This should all be being booked and and put together at the same time. Honestly, watching pro at this point and trying to make sense of it would just blow your mind, which is why I said I I just take notes and and keep moving on. Yeah, that's pretty much what you that's all you can do at this point. You know, back in the day, they had to pay for syndication sometimes. I know Vince, that's how he took a lot of the people's TV was just 
offering them the same amount of money to run their show weekly. <laughs> At this point, NWA would have to probably pay like double what Vince was paying just to air their shit because it, they don't care. And uh, it comes across. It really does. Yeah, and just to catch everybody up who, who wasn't born or, or alive during this era, everybody's like, well, what does it matter, really? I mean, it's the low-level shows. Syndication was seen by more people than cable. More people had regular TV, your network television channels, than cable back here in the 80s. Cable, even though even in 1989, it wasn't even everywhere yet. There were still some places where it just it just wasn't available. It hadn't got there yet. On top of that, not everybody had cable by the end of the 80s. And so syndication was where it was at. That's why Superstars was the number one show in the WWF, not primetime. And Wrestling Challenge was the number two show and not primetime. So technically, Pro and Worldwide should be getting treated much better than they are here. And it's not necessarily the booking that doesn't make sense. I find myself enjoying these shows typically most weeks. It's the fact that they're out of sync with the rest of the stories being told on TBS. And so it's just hard to really get get invested or even figure out what the hell's going on, which is, like I said, that's why I'm just taking notes and we're moseying along. <laughs> yeah. And no, like to piggyback off what you're saying there, if, you, if all you got was syndication and you're seeing things that let's say you see Robin green out on the zoo date, and then you go to the house show that Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, before you see the date, where she transforms, she's going to come out looking like a woman. You're like, what the hell happened? When did this happen? So it's really important that your syndication is on point because that's how you make your money at the house shows when you start to travel. And if that shit's out of whack and it's not current and it's just very lazy, it makes things difficult. And you wonder why their house show stuff was in the tank uh, for the most part. Uh, It's just because you don't care. And um, they didn't care really. And that's the difference between the NWA and WWF, to be honest with you. The details on the little things that, make a tremendous amount of difference. The WWF had it, the NWA didn't, and I don't think they ever did have it. They never did figure it out. Yeah, and I wouldn't even consider this little things. I mean, your show, you know, Pro feels like it's three weeks behind. Worldwide, it's clearly a week ahead of the storyline, so everything's just, it is what it is. Promo time, Jim Ross with the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Brian Pillman getting that rub one more time. They talk Clash of the Champions this week, Steve. And Brian Pillman calls Norman a four uh, calls Norman four hundred pounds of raw sewage. That about sums it up. At least when he was Bastion Booger. And Ric Flair says that at Clash, Funk and Muda will pay a price of a wrestling lifetime. Woo! Pretty basic promo, and we'll move on with the show. The Steiner brothers out here with Missy Hyatt, and they're also accompanied by Miss Robin Green. And they take on Agent Steel and Trent Knight. Agent Steel, Steve, is Brad Anderson, the son of the legendary Minnesota Wrecking Crew member Gene Anderson, trainer of many, and worked behind the scenes for the NWA throughout the 1980s as well. And Brad Anderson would also continue on as Agent Steel again, but he'd also pop up under a purple or pinkish mask as the German jobber Zan Panzer in the early 1990s as well. My theory was they'd always planned on maybe, possibly, someday doing something with him because he was the son of Gene Anderson, and because of that, he typically always wrestled on NWA under a hood. Makes sense. Obviously, that never happened, right? No, never never came to fruition. It's un, it's unfortunate. He seemed to be, like, uh, jobber to the star level anyway. I think it would have took the mask off and gave him a little bit of a push. Maybe even would have worked in a tag team, you know, an Anderson's tag team or something along those lines, but... 
It is what it is, as uh, Scott Steiner dominates the match, per the usual, and Rick Steiner tags in, no cells, turnbuckle shots, even starts slamming his own head into the turnbuckles, and nails a released German suplex on Trent Knight, and Rick Steiner with the overhead belly-to-belly on Agent Steel gets the win. Five minutes and nine seconds. Bit of a lengthy squash match, but it's the Steiner, so they have plenty of moves to fill in the time, and there was a very loud crowd noise throughout this matchup. Yeah, the Steiners are over. They are definitely over. Yeah, it's working. Unfortunately, it feels like the last few weeks uh, we've kind of tapered off on the Rick Steiner comedy routine, the uh, the goofy Rick Steiner stuff, and it's just more. I'm not saying it's all the way gone, but it's uh, starting to look there. like it's phasing. Yeah, it's phasing away. Flair must not have liked it. I don't know how you couldn't. <laughs> I I just feel like the Steiners the Steiners are trying to evolve themselves. Pedicino knows one more time. He wants to be called the fans man. He wants everyone to write to him. He wants everyone to send him cheeseburgers, Steve. That's what he wants. Send him those McDonald's gift cards, huh? Yeah. I'm telling you, this guy can't help but try to get himself over. I'm the fans, man. I walk around and I talk to the fans at the shows. Yeah, dude. So they'll buy you a fucking hot dog. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Lex Luger promo time. He says, when you say you're the best and people know you're the best, they begin to resent you. People want to see Lex beat. They want to see him lose his U.S. title. But he's more than a U.S. title now, Steve. He's the total package. When Lex decided to throw the rule book in the trash, where it belongs, he became absolutely unbeatable. He says, Tommy Rich is up against the odds. The best in the sport. Tommy Rich thinks he's going to take the title, but it's not going to happen. Fairly decent promo by Lex Luger, but he still hasn't hit that peak again since the Steamboat feud. <laughs> I can't say I blame him either. Yeah. Well, he has nothing to talk about. He just comes out there and talks about himself, which you think would work for Lex Luger. It worked when he first turned heel. But when you have nothing to talk about for weeks on end, we saw it with Terry Funk where he finally ran out of ideas. And it's just out there. Just, the wheels are spinning. But what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean Lex Luger's come up with twenty nicknames for himself now. You can only come up with so many damn things. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's not really his fault. Like you said, if he had a decent program to sink his teeth into, not named Tommy Rich, his promos probably would have been different because he's talking about somebody worthwhile. Uh, I know he changes it up here once again <laughs> in a week or two, but like you said, he needs a, he needs a program. And um, and to be honest with you, I don't really remember a program ever coming down that he's a part of well they have a, a, a very small pro if you want to call it a program to lead into that pillman match we haven't gotten there yet for halloween havoc it's not much but they do do something leading into this it's not just a match so w- again we're not in october yet so we haven't gotten that far but just to let you know there's there's something coming that's good he needs it he deserves it world champion rick flair on this episode of worldwide taking on wild bill Irwin. a good showcase match there against one of the lower end heels if you couldn't tell, Ric Flair has the book, Steve, as he's working more often on TV now. I mean, actually getting in the ring and wrestling. And I don't mean that in a Dusty Rhodes way, baby. I just mean, he, I, I kind of like it. It's nice to see Ric Flair pop. As long as he doesn't do it too much, I'm down for things like this. I love these Ric Flair Cuban Assassin, Ric Flair Bill Irwin matches. Not because they're phenomenal top-of-the-line matches, but because they showcase Ric Flair's talent and the guy's above par. He's not a complete job guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think Obviously, you don't want to overexpose your champion and things like that. Not, not only keep him on the big shows, 
again, if all you have is syndication and you go months without seeing your, the champion, you don't really know much unless you read the magazines and things like that. So getting him out here, let him get himself over with a decent opponent, let the commentators talk about him for a little bit. It's only positives that can come from this. And um, and to be honest with you, it's he puts on pretty decent matches with these guys that have kind of looked terrible otherwise. It's a win all around for me. Jim Ross notes that Ric Flair is a uh, six-time world champion, tying Luthez and one away from Harley Race. I wonder if Flair ever gets that seventh world title reign. I guess we'll never know because it doesn't happen in 1989. Like I said, this match, though, is a basic showcase for the champ, much like the Rick Steamboat match against Bill Irwin. Ric Flair knows how to work a match with Irwin, I thought, to where it's not completely awful. It's actually watchable at least in my eyes anyway, lots of offense by the champ, but Bill Irwin comes back with his usual punch and kick fest. Ric Flair does the flip over the top rope to the apron, comes off the top with an elbow onto Bill Irwin and Flair with a figure four. And what a hot crowd, but Irwin makes it to the ropes. And this crowd was eating up Ric Flair here. They were loving them some Ric Flair. I couldn't believe Bill Irwin made it to the ropes to break the figure four, and he goes straight to the eyes of the nature boy. But as Bill Irwin attempts a hip toss, Ric Flair counters into the backslide to protect Irwin just a little bit. So clearly his pecking order just above the Cuban assassin here. Ric Flair counters the hip toss into a backslide, picks up the win, retains the title, 7 minutes, 18 seconds. Decent little TV match. Yeah, not bad. And my Flair can work a broomstick and make it look good. And this match is proof of that. So everybody likes to say you can do that. And this match kind of showed it. Irwin held his own and, he, and Flair made him look good. But yeah, this was a decent little match. Probably Irwin's best match. That's not surprising when you're working with Flair. Right. I'm I'm sure when they went in, Flair only had one rule. You're not doing that stupid looking bicycle kick. And uh, so they avoided (laughs) that. And it was a decent little match. And to close the show, well, it's promo time with the Freebirds. Michael Hayes says the Steiners are, and I quote, slow headed idiots. And then it's off to the ring for the Freebirds and tag team action getting the win over Rusty Riddle and Rick Nelson. Meanwhile, there's an insert promo as the match gets going from the Steiner brothers. They rebut Michael Hayes and his stupid, slow-headed comments. As the Freebirds pick up the win here, Jimmy Garvin with the DDT on Rick Nelson, and the Freebirds get the win in four and a half minutes. What a terrible way to close the show. Why not close the show with Ric Flair? I don't know. It makes too much sense there. But I got nothing to say about the Freebirds. I think everybody (laughs) knows how I feel about them by now. It's time for NWA World Championship Wrestling, the Saturday night program for September 2nd, taped on August 30th, aired here on September 2nd, so we're just three days after the taping. And this is a Labor Day edition of World Championship Wrestling, Labor Day weekend edition of WCW. But the show is joined in progress. We only get the final 30 minutes without commercials, so with commercials, eh, the last 40 minutes, uh, we're joined in progress due to, a, I believe, a Braves game, Steve, if that's correct. Uh, I believe so, yeah. And immediately we hear a strange voice on commentary. It's Chief Wahoo McDaniel joining Jim Ross this week for commentary. And the first match we get after the Braves game, we get Tommy Rich taking on Agent Steel in its entirety. So God does have a sense of humor as we miss some of the show, but we get back from the Braves game just in time to see us a wildfire match, brother. And it's arm bars and wrist locks. So Tommy steps that up this week. He turns the arm bar into a wrist lock at one point here, but it's the Thez Press 
<laughs> that gets the win one more time. Five-minute match for good old Tommy Rich here this week as he, he's ready, Jim Ross notes, after this big big encounter, he's ready for Lex Luger. Yeah. Oh, man. Pre-tape promo time because it's not over yet. It's more wildfire Tommy Rich. He says, somebody say something about Flex Luger and the Clash. Uh, he, he seems to think calling Lex Luger Flex Luger is a put-down. So Tommy Rich uses insults like he uses arm bars here. It's, his arsenal of uh, offense is just as lame as his promo skills here in 1989. It would be an accurate description here, at least in this promo. Yeah, it made no sense to me. And I think he says that again, and Jim Cornette picks up on it. He's like, I think that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and he starts using it himself during commentary. So uh, definitely not creative and very, I don't know. No, the after mags, whenever the heel writer, the fake heel writer used to write when Luger and Sting were both baby faces, he would at least refer to him as Stink and Lex Loser. That would at least have been a little more clever for Tommy Rich here. Uh, apparently, uh, Lex had a promo earlier on the show. I caught this based on Tommy's promo. So uh, we missed it. But from what I gather, at some point earlier on in this episode of World Championship Wrestling, Lex Luger said he was bored with his opponents, his challengers. He wants real challengers. Uh, apparently, he also hired, uh, fired his hired help, to which Tommy Rich said that he, he was his own man and he, he did his own things. He, he didn't have hired help. Well, no shit. Tommy Rich, but so I guess there was a Lex Luger promo that he sounds like he went off on a new script, something different, firing his hired help. A lot of stuff Lex has been saying lately sounds real. I wonder if he walked in that day and and fired some guy that was carrying his bags. I wouldn't doubt it. Probably smudged his mirror a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm sad we missed that one as well because when he goes off his script and what he's when he comes up with something new, it's usually pretty creative. And I know that's crazy to think for Lex Luger, but in 89, like his promos, the first time he uses the sayings that he continues to use for like the following like three or four weeks are pretty good. It's just when he doesn't come up with anything new for the next couple of weeks because he came up with that new stuff already. So uh, it definitely sounds like it was different than what we've been hearing. It'd have been cool to hear. And uh, we're going to do a little rapid fire results here for the next few segments because there's not a really a whole lot going on from what I could tell on this episode, at least the part of the episode that we got. It was promo time with Ric Flair and Sting. They talk about the Omni tomorrow night, September 3rd. Ric Flair shills a match with Terry Funk, a Texas death match with Terry Funk. And, of course, Sting will take on the Great Muda for the vacant TV title. That's tomorrow in the Omni, the September 3rd Omni show. And I guarantee you guys there will be a winner. We will have a new TV champion, which we will find out before this episode of The Grenade Ends. Back to the ring, it's Dan Spivey in singles competition this week. And it's Sid Vicious and Teddy Long on the outside accompanying Spivey to the ring as he takes on and defeats Rusty Riddle with the powerbomb in just two and a half minutes. And then pre-tape promo by the Road Warriors. And they've had a few pre-tape promos, I think, over the course of these two weeks. But they're all filmed at the same time because it's the same backdrop and an animal has the same exact paint, same color scheme and everything. So they just get all their shit in the can all at once. Smart, smart idea from the Road Warriors here. Uh, let's, let's travel for the roadies. Paul Ellering calls out the SST and Polly dangerously says they are insignificant specks of slime on earth. Well said, Ellering. Paul Ellering makes it clear the clash will determine the winner of the feud this week. So they're doing it even on World Championship Wrestling. They're saying the clash is this week on World Championship Wrestling. Now, of course, these promos also aired on syndication, so that might have something to do with it as well. 
Yeah, I'm guessing that's why the syndication stuff. They've been pretty spot on with Saturday night. They haven't messed this show up yet. No, I that's. Them, you know, I just had to point I that out. It the wrong one. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that they they do this again. I just happened to notice this, so I had to put it in the notes here. Yeah. It's back to the ring where the SST do their talking in the ring this week. They're, of course, accompanied by Paul E. Taking on Scrap Iron Bill Ford and Trent Knight. Paul E. is uh, placed in SST garb as they remove their Samoan skirts and that whatever that straw thing that they put, whatever the hell that is, hangs around their chest. They place it on Paul E. And I thought he looked kind of cool wearing that over top of his suit. As JR says, Paul E. wears skirts all the time in San Francisco. Jim Ross loves to reference San Francisco. All the time. At least once a week, he talks about San Francisco. Wahoo says he has never met a Samoan that wasn't tough. I don't think that you could be any truer, Wahoo McDaniel. And the match ends. Samu with the big side slam, 5-2 off the top rope with the big splash on Trent Knight. Match only goes 50 seconds. The SST pick up another very quick squash match. Promo time. Steiner Brothers, Missy Hyatt, Robin Green, and they're all out here. Robin Green insincerely thanks Missy Hyatt for being the first lady of the NWA and taking care of Rick Steiner before Robin Green came along. She also thanks Scott Steiner for welcoming her into the Steiner family. The Steiners call out the skyscrapers. They call out the world champion Freebirds. Scott Steiner half shoots, talks about the skyscrapers killing guys smaller than them. But if they met the Steiners, Scotty says they will leave their feet. They will be suplexed. Uh, what'd you think of the promo? And did you pick up on Robin Green kind of giving Missy some shit here? Yeah, I picked up on it there. Uh, just playing the seeds. And like we talked about during the clash, watch long. And I'm sorry if you haven't heard it, but it just feels like they, they rushed this. So at least they're doing a little things leading up to it. I like that the Steiners, yeah, they want the belts and they have the title match, but they're worried about everybody. They just want to kick everybody's ass. And I thought that was. Uh, maybe not be the best of ideas, but I, I like it because they just don't care. They want to they want to get in the ring and just beat the hell out of everybody. So um, decent little promo here. Yeah, I just enjoyed Scott telling the skyscrapers they will leave their feet. They will oh, be yeah. suplexed. Like they have no option. That's, yeah, uh, they don't. No, Sid finds that out the the hard way. It's music video time on this episode of World Championship Wrestling, but not one, not two, not three, but four back to back to back to back music videos. We kick things off with a Dynamic Dudes music video. Now they filmed about 46 videos, Steve. What do you want to bet? They went and found the shittiest one of them all. Don't worry, be happy. As the Dynamic Dudes look like absolute idiots as they jazzercise. And just when I had hoped that the dudes were gone forever, it's clear they are on their way back. These skyscrapers get their White Snake Now You're Gone music videos. They destroy job guys left and right. Brian Pillman. Riding in a helicopter. Remember that video? Def Leppard's Rocket plays as Brian Pillman rides around in a helicopter because he's flying Brian, Steve. And of course, the old Road Warriors Iron Man knockoff music video. So seemed like they had some time to fill here as they shoved four videos into a segment. Uh, yeah, this makes you wonder if they were even thinking they were going to have a, a show or not because there was not a lot to this. There's a lot of quick matches. Uh, it was kind of felt like a throwaway show. Saturday Night Show has been pretty solid leading up to this one. This one just kind of feels like a throwaway because I'm just I'm curious if they thought they were going to have an actual show or what the case may be. But uh, thankfully, baseball season's coming to an end. We're yeah, we won't have an issue with longer. that after another week, a couple weeks. Uh, thank goodness. Yeah. 
And I kind of wonder if this show was an hour long episode because they, they typically planned for the Braves games when they might ideally end. So I don't know that they necessarily booked a two hour program this week. This may have only been an hour long, in which case we might only be missing the first 20 minutes. I hope something better was on the first 20 minutes because we close out this show the same way we closed out worldwide. It's another well, promo from Michael PSAs. You know what's the worst thing about these promos, Steve? Jimmy Garvin isn't even in these promos. So it's all Michael Hayes. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all Michael Hayes. It's all well, It's same shit every time. They're the champs. They're going to stay the champs. Lather, rinse, repeat. You know all of Michael Hayes' catchphrases by now. Yep. Same shit, different toilet. You know, we rewrite the history books every time they step in the ring. Heaven don't want us and hell's afraid we'll take over. Yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would have popped if he said that. <laughs> he said for 10 years he's been saying, give me back my bullets. And now his gun is reloaded and it'll never go empty. Whatever the hell that means. I have no he idea. Maybe another good. maybe another reference to lyric, song lyrics. I have no idea. And we close the show in his own world, buddy. Yeah. Still has been for for 45 years. I like some of those suits, to be honest with you. I might rock a couple of those. But but, uh, (laughs) the dude's like 65. Oh, yep. Good point. Good point. It's like one of those old Jerry Springer shows where where grandma's wearing that those teenage clothes. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's well past time to hang those up, buddy. So we ended worldwide with a Hayes promo and a Freebirds match. We're going to end World Championship Wrestling with a Hayes promo and a Freebirds match. Why couldn't this Hayes match and the Tommy Rich match have been uh, taken over by the Braves game? Why, why, why not something else? I mean, why couldn't we have gotten something else? I don't know. It's just the way shit's planned, I guess. They knew if they wanted anything to air, it was going to be the Freebirds that were going to make air. As the Freebirds end the Ratings. show with a win. What's that? Ratings, man. Yeah, definitely. Way to close out the program. <laughs> as the birds get the win over Tommy Angel and Luis Astia. Haven't seen him in a very long time on wrestling TV. Jimmy Garvin with the DDT on Astia, and the birds get the win in 2 minutes and 40 seconds, and the less said about that, the better. As we move on yes. to the Sunday night main event program for September the 3rd, it's Jim Ross and Polly Dangerously hosting the show and on commentary for the show. Unfortunately, we don't have this entire show. Uh, fortunately, though, we do have half of this show. Once again, unfortunately, <laughs> well, once again, unfortunately, it's a half an hour of wildfire Tommy Rich, Steve. Oh my God. So I'm not only do we join wild. World Championship Wrestling in progress with, with Tommy Rich, this, this episode of NWA main event seems to be missing in the world. But for some reason, some asshole with a sick sense of humor recorded the Tommy Rich match only on this episode of, of uh, the main event and it's wildfire Tommy rich taking on Ron Simmons and the announcers note that Tommy rich is number eight in the top 10. Ron Simmons is number 10. So they're battling it out to uh, maybe, maybe Simmons will jump Tommy rich in the ratings here as uh, we get things going with a lot of stalling. Tommy rich toys with Ron Simmons early on and he goes out and he hugs this, this lady in the, in the crowd Ron with a bear hug, a very, very long bear hug. And a weird-ass-looking Boston crab that he finally turns into what I would refer to as an early version of the Walls of Jericho or the Lion Tamer, where he kind of has Tommy bent back on his head. But you don't have a long Tommy Rich match without one move, and that move is the armbar. 
which Ron Simmons manages to escape, but that's okay because Ron misses a uh, middle rope shoulder block, and it's back to the arm bar. But Ron escapes one more time, and they fight to the floor and back in the ring, and it's Tommy Rich with the arm bar. And Ron Simmons finally, finally takes over and gets heat on Tommy Rich with the chin lock. And then we go into the finish as Tommy Rich, what a heel move here, shakes the ropes as Ron Simmons is climbing them and knocks Ron off the ropes. But Ron nails a sloppy-looking power slam anyway, and then they finish things off the same way they did the, had the entire match. A sloppy-looking Briscoe roll, the old sunset flip out of the corner spot that takes Tommy Rich forever to hook, execute. He damn near lands on his head, and finally Ron Simmons rolls over, and Tommy Rich gets the win in 15 minutes and nine seconds. Uh, I'm just shaking my head. Nobody can see me, but I'm just shaking my head. Like I, I open up this file, and I'm like, okay, there has to be more to this show. And then I just keep on scrubbing and scrubbing, and I'm like, oh, my God. The whole file is Tommy Rich and Ron Simmons. I knew I was in for it when I saw that. My note here is the best part of this whole match is dangerously in commentary. I, I didn't really take notes on what he was saying, but I was listening to him, and he was excellent, very entertaining. Yeah, he made um, yeah, like he made said, the uh, this was, made the show tolerable. If you weren't really yeah. paying attention to the screen and just listening to Paulie, he kept the uh, the commentary lively anyway. Yeah, this was just basically seventeen minutes of an armbar, fifteen minutes of an armbar. It, it was brutal. Thankfully, it's over. I don't have to watch it ever again. If you ever want to just torture somebody, just stick them in a room and put this match on loop, and you'll you you do the job. But uh. That's it for main event. Yeah, I don't know if I could have took any more after that. <laughs> and we move on to the next week. It's NWA Power Hour, Friday night for September 8th, 1989. They're back in Gainesville, Georgia again. And as Jim Ross and Jim Cornette open the show, Jim Ross says he's back from Oklahoma, and he holds up a few bumper stickers. Uh, he picks up a bumper sticker from KMOD, which Jim Cornette refers to as Commode. And then uh, after that, it's uh, another bumper sticker. But it says the sooner born, sooner bred, and when I die, I'll be sooner dead. Cornette replies, the sooner, the better. So funny little witty banter with Jim Ross and Cornette as the show gets going. And in the opening also, Jim Cornette slams Jim Ross by saying this year, Oklahoma, the college football team, is ranked number 10 by the AP and number three by the FBI. Jim Ross cringes and says, touche. He he can't really rebut that. And what what, he, what they're referring to is way back when, 1989, the NCAA had put Oklahoma's football program on probation back in uh, actually December, I think, all the way back in December. Plus, uh, there were some like separal, separate criminal incidents that led to charges being filed to three different players on the Oklahoma team. And it had gotten so much that uh, one of the winningest coaches in college football history, Barry Switzer, even stepped down as coach from Oklahoma. So it was a rough year for JR and his boys. Well, they're ranked number 10, so hopefully they're on the rebound. Yeah, somebody go check that out. Let me know. What what did they do that year? I'm too lazy to go go see. It's flying Brian Pillman in the ring, taking on the Enforcer. Brian Pillman dominates. The Enforcer comes back briefly, but misses a middle rope elbow drop. And Air Pillman ends this one, three minutes, six seconds. And Brian Pillman is ready for Norman at the Clash this Tuesday. That was last Tuesday. No, if it was worldwide, it would have been last Tuesday. <laughs> However, this is pro, so it's actually seven Tuesdays from now. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's no lie there. 
and uh, uh, Gordon Soley in WNN. He wants to talk to Clash of the Champions main event one more time. Of course, we already know the drill there. The top 10 hasn't changed from last week. No need to read that. The Freebirds no longer have the edge. Now that Gordy's gone, says Gordon Soley, it's now two on two. And Gordon thinks the Steiners will become the new tag team champions at the Clash. And that about does it for the WNN. Again, two weeks in a row, no mention of the WWF, no mention of Japan, no mention of the Indies, no mention of nothing. Just straight up NWA nonsense right now with Gordon Soley. Here's a match you might have liked, Steve. It's U.S. champion, total package Lex Luger involved. And he's taking on Ranger Ross Ranger with some basic offense early on. But Lex works over the Rangers back. And this is a fun spot that it will absolutely find its way onto our Twitter account. <laughs> Lex climbs up to the middle rope. And it looks like he's going to go for an elbow, or I'm not really sure what he's going for, but completely slips. How do you slip off the middle rope? He's just standing there, slips and falls right on his face. The crowd laughs, and thank God that this happened here rather than the Clash of the Champions live in front of that many people on TBS. Thank God this happened on NWA Pro as Luger falls flat on his face, allowing Ranger Ross to make a comeback. But he runs into a Luger clothesline out of the corner, and the total package picks up the pinfall victory Six minutes, nine seconds. This is the power hour, right? Oh, is this the power hour? Fuck. Sorry, dude. No, you threw me off there. You sound like the NWA. <laughs> Sorry, man. With the NWA yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Um, yeah, this is on power hour, so uh, he might have been exposed to somebody. True that. Like you said, you, men- you mentioned it in one of the grenades that whenever a guy messes up, um, they try to cover it up real quick with an awesome move. After he slipped, he got up and just destroyed Ranger Ross with a clothesline and pinning with the flex pin <laughs> that, he, that he started to do, uh, where he just puts his knee over him and flexes. Um, Tell it like it is, Steve. He puts his balls in their face. Pretty much, yeah. Tell him to get a whiff. But uh, no, this, I, I, as soon as I saw it, I messaged you, and I was dying laughing. So this definitely needs to get up on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, he, just, he eats it. It's not like he jumps off and just slips and kind of falls on his back. He goes head first right <laughs> into the, the mat. And uh, <laughs> for Lex Luger's gimmick and everything and his attitude and his, his personality back then, this had to eat him alive. Um, and then they air it on TV. It had to be a rib. Had it to. Could have uh, easily edited this yeah. out. They they edited some some footage out here coming up with uh, Sid and Scott Hall. It's so bad. They could have edited this out. They yeah. opted not to. And I can't help but wonder it if that was done on purpose. Had to, but yeah, this is this is fun. It, it was pretty funny. Somebody say something about chin locks, brother. Tommy Rich hasn't missed the show yet. I don't believe on this episode of the Grenade, as he takes on the Bounty Hunter. But he does us a favor this week. No arm bars. All chin locks today, and the Thez press ends it in four minutes and twenty eight seconds. Oh man, Tommy Rich learned a new hold for Lex Luger at the Clash. That's- that's what I said. He's trying some different moves here. He uses a drop kick and a backdrop during this match. So um, he's coming closer to like, you know, 1985. He's not quite at 1989 yet as far as work, but uh, he's getting there slowly but surely. So here's a funny one here. Uh, up next is Funk's Grill with Gary Hart and Dick Slater. Dick Slater's rocking that cast. Ric Flair broke his arm. As the promo started, this is supposed to be a JTEX Corporation promo. I had a brain fart moment, Steve. I'm not going to lie to you. As the promo started, I kept feeling like someone was missing, but I'm not referring to Muda. I was like, man, Terry Funk should be out there, not just Dick Slater. And then I look over and I realize, oh, it's, it's Funk's grill. Terry Funk is out there. 
He's just conducting the interview. So I felt like a complete idiot. But So I, I'm not afraid to note that right here in my own notes, make fun of myself. And Terry Funk gets a cheer going. He's w- wanting to cheer and chant. He wants the fans to chant for Ric Flair because he wants Ric Flair out here. He wants a shot at Ric Flair. And then the, uh, the heels actually whip out dolls they've made of Ric Flair and Sting. They don't look great, but Dick rips Flair's arm off. Yes, I had to say that properly. I wanted to make sure I didn't say Flair rips Dick's dick off or something along those lines. So, yes, Dick Slater grabs the Ric Flair doll and rips the arm off of it. Kind of revenge for Flair breaking the arm of Slater, I assume. And then they foreshadow what happens at the Clash by bagging the doll's heads uh, for sale. Funk winds up saying he's going to stomp the dolls, stomp an address into them. And uh, what do you think about the whole bagging incident here? Clearly foreshadowing plans they have for the Clash of the Champions by sticking plastic bags over the dolls' heads. I thought this was very, I don't know, I didn't really care for this segment. Uh, The foreshadowing was cool because you know what's coming at the Clash, so it makes sense. If you know what's coming, um, I don't know how much sense this would have made if you watched it right before the Clash aired, you know, something like that. Um, but since I knew where it was going, I thought it was pretty creative. It made sense after the fact, I deal. And Funk did say, too, after he bagged him up, that he's gonna, they're going to escalate the violence on Tuesday. So uh, just really decent, good foreshadowing for the most part. I just didn't care for the segment. Main event time. It's eight-man tag team action, and it's a doozy. It's the Road Warriors t- and teaming with the Steiner Brothers. What an eight-man team. As they're accompanied to the ring by Paul Ellering, and Robin Green, and Missy Hyatt as they take on the the quartet of the SST and the Freebirds. Of course, the SST accompanied the ring by Paulie Dangerously. And before the match gets going, Missy Hyatt keeps trying to get Robin Green to leave with her. Missy wants to leave ringside, and they get to the nearly almost all the way to the back, and Robin Green turns around, and she walks back out. She's not going to listen to Missy. She wants to be part of the action. This really didn't make sense to me. The announcers played up as women, maybe they don't have a part to be at ringside in a match of this magnitude, but Missy's been out here for all sorts of matches. So it just seems odd other than for storyline purposes, Missy Hyatt trying to get Robin green to leave ringside with her for this particular match. Yeah. The only thing that made sense to me was that with these eight guys, it's been, it's going to get violent and pretty, pretty rough. So they didn't really need to be ringside. But like you said, Missy's Missy's been misted and probably had fire thrown at her at some point. Just a bunch of shit happens to her. So what makes this match any different? So in that sense, it didn't make any sense at all. Nevertheless, Missy Hyatt retreats to the locker room, but Robin Green turns around and comes back out, and she stays at ringside for the remainder of the match. Missy Hyatt never to return. Uh, Fun shit early and often in this match is the baby faces take on the SST. A lot of power moves, a lot of hard bumping from everyone involved. And then the Freebirds tag in, Steve. And we eventually get heat on Scott Steiner near the end of the match. The SST. Work him over outside the ring. The Freebirds do some shit inside the ring. And Scott Steiner finally catches Michael Hayes coming off the top rope and then lands a vertical suplex before nailing or before making a hot tag to Brother Rick. And Rick Steiner steps in, mauls both of the birds on the hot tag. Steiner lines for both and covers Garvin, which leads to the SST breaking it up. And an eight-way melee takes off as all eight men get in the ring and out of the ring and there's shit going on everywhere and the referee loses track as Rick Steiner and Michael Hayes brawl in the center of the ring. And Hayes winds up setting Rick Steiner up for the DDT, but it's Scott Steiner, the illegal Scott Steiner, 
coming off the top rope with a sunset flip on the illegal Michael Hayes. And Scott Steiner pins Michael Hayes to get the win for the baby faces in 12 minutes. Fun match overall. And uh, we got a finish. We got a pinfall, even if neither guy was a legal man. Yeah, I had the same exact notes as you. A really fun main event with a clean finish. I uh, never would have guessed that with these teams involved. So it really, for shocking, I'm about to say this, but um, they actually did a decent enough job to build towards the clash and say, you know, the Steiners really do have a chance. I mean, on paper and just looking at them, they obviously have a chance, but them pinning the champs right before the big match at the clash um, was really good. So if anybody ever wondered the question, you've heard the jokes of how many people does it take to put in a light bulb? How many wrestlers does it take to make Michael Hayes have a good match? The answer is apparently seven. Seven other wrestlers in this match, and Michael Hayes actually comes out of this looking halfway decent. As the show ends with Wrestler of the Week, this week it's the Great Muda. I will not argue with Klondike Bill in regards to that decision. And we close out the show. Jim Cornette once again got to get his rib in on Joe Penasino this week. Apparently, the United States, or maybe the world, I guess, have their first shots of the planet Neptune, Steve. And next time they go into space, we're going to get our first shots at the north side of Joe Pettacino's waistline. Poor Joe. <laughs> I was dying at this. Voyager sent back pictures of Neptune, and then they sent back photos of the north side of Joe Pettacino's waistline. I was dying. I thought it was hilarious. And I think Jim Ross did, too. He was, he was trying hard not to laugh, like, uncontrollably. But, man, it was hilarious. And we have no NWA Pro for September 9th. I'm sure it happened, but we can't find it anywhere on the face of the earth. Doesn't mean it's not out there. We'll continue to search. And if any one of you guys have it or know where you can, what direction you can point us in, please do so. Please drop us a line at Wrestling Grenade on Twitter and let us know. We're still looking for September 9th, 1989 Pro. And I like to think maybe, maybe they're just trying to catch up. <laughs> and so they didn't air an episode, but I doubt that's the case. And actually the fun I story here. Say, no. <laughs> but uh, the, no, no, no. I mean, I was going to say, uh, it, it doesn't matter. If it is out there, it's probably six weeks behind anyway. Sure, sure. So, so they'll be caught up maybe by the time they air another yeah. episode. The one thing to note here for this week I should have brought up before we did the Power Hour was there's five TV shows that the NWA puts out every week, the Power Hour, Pro, Worldwide, World Championship Wrestling, and the main event. Three of those shows were missing in action when we started this project, and thanks to Richard Land, who went out and sought and found the full two-hour version of World Championship Wrestling for September 9th, Steve. He really helped us out there. And then I went and I did some digging, and I came up with uh, the majority of the September 10th NWA main event episode as well. So we went from having three missing shows to only one missing show. So as much as it hurts me to not be able to cover the NWA pro show this week, it could have been far worse. Yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why we did what we did as far as the clash and the rumble. So we want it, we want this to be as complete as possible. So uh, thanks to Richard land for hooking us up with, the Saturday night episode. I'm glad he did because that was a very fun show and I can't wait to talk about it coming up here soon. And then obviously you found the main event stuff. So that was cool as well. You know what I can't wait to talk about this episode of NWA worldwides for September 9th. (laughs) And we kick off the show with a Jim Cornette promo. He says when the midnight express were world champions, they defended it against great tag teams, but the free birds use every trick in the book, including disqualifications and count outs to retain. 
when the Midnights leave Bad Street, the property value, Steve, will be at an all-time low, meaning the Midnights are coming for the Freebirds World Tag Team titles. That was a pretty creative way to get to that point. I enjoyed that promo. Skyscrapers make their way to the ring, accompanied by Teddy Long to take on Rusty Riddle and Rick Nelson. Sid Vicious presses Ricky Nelson face first across the top rope. They take the fight to the outside, and then Sid once again presses him back in over the top rope into the ring and delivers the Whirly Bird, the spinning powerbomb-esque type move there. And there he is for the first time, and I think the only time in these two weeks of the NWA TV, it's Norman out there at ringside. I don't think we see Norman again uh, on this episode of The Grenade anyway. And it's the yeah. skyscrapers nailing the spike powerbomb on Riddle to get the win in a minute and 35 seconds. Spivey never legally even tagged into this match. It was really all Sid Vicious, and then Spivey just kind of came in to aid in the spike powerbomb for the finish. Yeah, that's kind of the gimmick they've been doing. One guy gets a night off each week or whatever the case may be, so I'm not surprised that that's the case here. We get a Lex Luger promo. It's actually just a replay from last week where he's talking about being a premier wrestler and how everyone resents him. And what is it with all these replays, Steve? I mean, syndication is on the shits and this show gets far worse as we go on. I, that's why that's another thing too. Like when I'm watching this, I'm like, I think I've heard this before. And I look up and it's the same backdrop, same everything. Like you mentioned with the roadies. There's, you know, there's, you don't remember every promo word for word, but there's like certain ways they say things that you, that triggers your mind. Okay. I've heard this. Right. That's what happened here. I was like, oh, I've heard this. So uh, to me, it's it's, it's nice because I can just skip through it because I've already seen it and heard it. Don't necessarily have to talk about it again. For people that are, if they watch everything, then they're seeing the same stuff over and over. Yeah, it's, it's lazy as hell. And the, the issue. I'm turning the channel. Yeah. And another issue I have with it, they never did this before. Every week you got new promos. Dusty Rhodes made sure of that. There was always new promos by all the wrestlers every week on TV. Unless it was maybe a localized promo, sometimes that you would get the same repeat localized promo. It happened from time to time. But in general, these show these shows like this with the promos, I I don't know what to say, man. It's uh we just saw this promo last week, we're seeing it again now. It's definitely lazy. I don't know if they just don't have enough people or or what the case may be. If there's too many people focused on maybe booking and not necessarily the the aspects of the show that need to be done properly. Because uh, you said if, Dust, if Dusty was making sure promos and everything were different week in and week out, then that sounds like it's on the bookers to get that done. And it just seems like it's been negated. And it's uh, it definitely makes this stuff seem second-rate, cheap, and just, I, I don't know. It's like they don't care. That's what it comes across as. Is they just do not care. And, that's really unfortunate because they had all the talent in the world, but they never, they could never get out of their own way. And that, yeah. that's where the biggest issue is. As the show goes on, it's flying Brian, the undefeated flying Brian. They know, uh, note on commentary. I hadn't really paid attention to that before, but they're right. Brian Pillman is currently still undefeated in the NWA taking on scrap iron. Bill Ford here. Nice baseball side dropkick by Pillman early in the match. Also nails a missile dropkick during this one, but it's air Pillman. That ends it in four minutes and 48 seconds. I gotta say here, Ross, this is where I first started, like, okay, what the hell's going on here? But Ross mentioned that Pillman fared better than his comrade Sting and Flair did this past Tuesday night, uh, which is referring to The Clash. And I'm like, this show aired on the 9th. The Clash yep. is until about the 11th or 12th. 
12th. Um, so what the hell's going on here? And, uh, you know, you don't think anything of it, but then all of a sudden, you mentioned later on during this match, he's going to interview Missy and Robin because there are questions to be answered there, which is again referring to the clash, but it hasn't, which happened. hasn't happened yet. So, right. Yeah. So that's when I was like, okay, there's a second time. Let's see what happens here. Right. I was, I was talking to you about this and like, well, did they show any clips? I'm like, no, no clips. It's, it's, it's nothing. And then you list, you watched it. And, uh, I think we're going to start getting into that now, but man. Hmm. Yeah. So Pillman over Bill Ford there, and uh, obviously you caught that. I didn't catch that part on the commentary of Jim Ross noting, basically giving away some of the results to the Clash, even her, here on the Pillman match, Pillman defeating Norman, three days before the match actually happens live. So it's not even taped and in the can, so they can use that for an excuse here. The Clash is live, and they are already giving away the results on TV, and they don't stop here on this episode. But before we can get there, it's off to the fans man. Joe Pettacino knows. He says, Teddy Long is becoming one of the most respected managers in the business. Never thought I'd hear that. He also questions if there's jealousy between Missy Hyatt and Robin Green. Calls them the first family, but Eddie Gilbert hasn't been allowed to associate with this act in quite a few weeks, if not months now at this point. And we also see a clip of Brian Pillman beating Norman from TV several weeks ago. And then Norman, of course, taking Brian Pillman out. And that leads to the rematch at The Clash, which it feels like this episode of Joe Pettacino Knows is building up, even though the rest of the show plays it off as if it's already happened. Yeah, and they also, he also mentioned that your boy uh, Johnny Ace, his face is healed, and uh, the dudes are coming back soon. So I know that's the news you've been waiting to hear. Well, I thought I could skip that for now. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> And here we go. This is where the real issues begin with uh, giving away spoilers for the Clash of the Champions as Jim Ross conducts an interview with Robin Green at first. It's uh, Robin all alone. They reference this past Tuesday night at the Clash of the Champions, even though it won't happen for another three days. Jim Ross mentions that the fans pointed out that that woman tripped Scott Steiner. So they've already got the plans. They're giving away the not just who won the match, but the finish of the match and how it's going to play out. So they already plan in advance that clearly Robin Green's going to trip Scott Steiner, costing the Steiners the shot at the world champion Freebirds. And uh, my takeaway also on top of the nonsense of giving this away and airing this in the wrong week is Jim Ross claims that the fans are screaming that that woman tripped Scott. Which woman? He plays off. Was it Missy Hyatt, which you've pointed out to me? Steve, you actually went back and you took screen caps of Missy Hyatt standing off to the right side of the camera where she was nowhere near Scott Steiner. So totally debunks the idea that Missy may have been that woman. My question is, by now the fans know Robin Green's name. So why are they shouting, that woman, that woman? Just bullshit to get this storyline over here. And oh yeah, did I mention that this match hasn't happened yet? Yeah, this was this is when I knew they they gave away results. This is like when it was kind of uh, finalized for me. I do got to point out here that woman says, "Look at me," and Ross says, "I'll look at you." <laughs> so, yeah, he's sick a- pervert trying to do a serious promo or interview, and he's still hitting on woman right in her face. Rick says he doesn't like everybody blaming woman for what happened and that uh, why we should trip up Scott and things like that. So. They essentially gave away the clash three days before it even aired. All you had to do was watch Worldwide, and you would have known who won or what was going to happen at the clash for some of the matches. 
Obviously, Pillman won. Sting and Flair, they didn't do too hot. <laughs> Steiner got screwed, or there's a shaky finish there. I couldn't imagine sitting at home on my couch watching this show on Saturday morning or whenever it was on, hearing all this, and then all of a sudden I watched the clash, and I'm like, oh, this is what they said was going to happen. This is what they said was going to happen. Like, yeah, either one of two I things do. happens here. You're either a diehard fan who will lie to yourself and tell yourself that, oh, the clash wasn't really live. It was taped too. That's how they knew that. Or you've come to the realization that they've exposed the business at this point that, no, this is live. And how did they know that was going to happen unless this is fake? Yeah, absolutely. So either way, you're like, <laughs> you're lying to yourself. Um, so it's definitely um, just so bad. Like, how does this happen? How does this, you know, obviously it's recording. It's a day, you know, it's three days before the show. How does somebody not realize this and say, hey, hold, hold it. We can't air this before it's too late. Or why do you do this in the first place? All this shit can be spliced in. You can do stuff after, you know, you can do insert promos and things like that. It doesn't have to be from the show or you can do dubbed over commentary, whatever you want to do. There's no sense that there's, there's no reason this should be done. Yeah, I have um, no idea who was in charge of editing what into what show, but somebody needed to be fired at this point. Uh, whoever was working behind the scenes on getting the syndication shit out. No doubt. Show continues along, and it's your man. It's your boy. It's Wildfire Tommy Rich one more time, brother. Taking on Joe Cruz. And we get an insert promo from Tommy Rich here. He says he admits Lex is the total package, but Tommy Rich represents the people. Dear God, no. Speak for yourself, Wildfire. And big issue here is Joe Cruz competes with Tommy Rich here. About 50-50. He even gets, this is a job guy we're talking about. He even gets his foot on the ropes during one of the covers from Lex, uh, from Tommy Richer. And how this sets Tommy Rich up for a U.S. title match with Lex Luger, beyond me. Less arm bars lately, but Tommy Rich with the Thez press gets the win once again, 5 minutes, 14 seconds. Do you think Luthez ever called Turner and asked Tommy Rich to stop using this move? Because it looks like shit. Wasn't uh, Luthez one of those guys there, like, uh, for Clash 6 with Harley Race? Wasn't yeah. he one of them that was there? Yes. Yep. So, uh, obviously, he's in tune to what's going on. Well, maybe. I don't know. But um, That was a payday, uh, man. Yeah, Luthez ain't hanging I, out watching wrestling. Probably not. But, um, <laughs> no, I, he should because it's kind of a disgrace at this point. <laughs> now, Luthez is getting ready for his uh, – Big retirement match, forced retirement match, I think was Masachono over in Japan eventually. Oh, wow. And it's back to the round mound of sound again. Joe Petticino knows. He gives congratulations to Rick Steiner for securing Robin Green as his girlfriend, especially now that she has changed her personality, referencing their second date. Joe Petticino doesn't necessarily reference the clash, but he does ask, what did you think the first time you saw the Z-Man? Well, Joe, we haven't seen him yet, so I can't really tell you. While there's no mention of the Clash, Joe Pettacino does bring up, as you mentioned earlier, that Johnny Ace, his cheekbone is healed, and the dudes will soon be returning to the rings of the NWA. And so it's more bad news from the round mound of sound, the fans man, Joe Pettacino, as we learn the dynamic dudes will soon be back on our TV screens. We move on to promo time. Gary Hart and Terry Funk. And here we go again, Steve. Once again, they reference last Tuesday. 
at Clash of the Champions. This is the main event now. They're getting ready to spoil the main event of the Clash of the Champions. And what's funny here is they reference things without actually giving away exactly what they do. It makes me feel like they're not exactly sure what they're going to do, so they leave this open-ended as they go into the Clash, pretending as if it already happened. What's really funny is Terry Funk references as if he wrestled on the show, which was the plan, but we all know didn't really happen. So anyway, they say, last Tuesday, they shocked the world at Clash of the Champions. They pulled it out. What a coup! Gary asked Terry Funk, what did Dick Slater say on the phone after the Clash? Terry Funk replies, Dick Slater said, thank you, in reference to what Funk did to Ric Flair at the show that hasn't happened yet. This entire thing is a world of shit, Steve. They are giving away bits and pieces of what's supposed to happen at the main event of Clash of the Champions. This is not Joe Pettacino accidentally giving away that the Z-Man is Tom Zank or somebody giving away that Lex Luger defeats Tommy Rich. These are givens, uh, at least at least the, the Lex Luger uh, match anyway. This is the main event that they're basically giving away here. They reference the Clash, which hasn't happened yet, implying Terry Funk worked the match and did something dirty, but they don't say what exactly. So maybe they had some other plans just in case somebody said no to the whole suffocation bag incident, which does take place. They allude that Terry Funk actually wrestled and that Dick Slater was at home during a telephone call. When in fact, it's Dick Slater who was actually at the show and had to wrestle in place of Terry Funk, who had a staph infection in his arm. What a mess of shit. F you, NWA. Yeah, this is a complete... Uh, like you mentioned earlier, the guy who is in charge of editing deserves to be fired. This is this is inexcusable, and um, something that definitely should never happen. Uh, I'm surprised this isn't talked about more, uh, but it's worldwide, so probably nobody watches it or even cared. Enough to bitch about. I don't even. Know. I don't even recall seeing it in the Observer, and Dave's usually on top of those things. So it's just unbelievable that you're basically giving away that something insane is going to happen at the Clash in the main event, and it almost makes you feel like that the Funkin mood um, will win the match or whatever the case may be. So again, why would you even pay attention or watch the match, the matches in the first place if you already know who wins? So, well, they keep teasing um, that something terrible, something dastardly, something dirty yeah. happened. So that might intrigue you to watch. What the hell are they referencing here? But it's still out of order. They're still addressing it as if it's already happened. They're pretending as if Dick Slater was at home having to watch because of his broken arm. When in fact he has to be, he's forced into wrestling with the uh, fa- the faux bro- broken arm, the the fake cast. So it's uh, it's all kinds of messed up. Not only is it aired out of order. They're advertising shit that hasn't happened yet, but they're advertising it incorrectly as well, uh, playing it off as if Dick Slater wasn't even in the building when anybody who watches the Clash sees that's that's not the story. Yeah, just inexcusable. Show continues on though because it has to with the Midnight Express, managed by Jim Cornette, taking on the New Zealand Militia. Stan's hand seems to be getting better here; he doesn't have it wrapped up anymore as the Midnights dominate the first four or five minutes of the match. The Militia. Finally take over with a knee to the back of Stan Lane as he's running the ropes. And a lot of brawling and, and token heel offense on Stan Lane by the militia. Hot tag to Bobby Eaton as Stan Lane gets tossed to the floor, and it's a two-on-one on beautiful Bobby. Bobby winds up reversing an Irish whip from Rip Morgan. 
sending Rip Morgan into a boot from Jack O victory in the corner and Eaton schoolboys Rip Morgan for the win. Ten minutes. The Midnights over the New Zealand militia here. And solid stuff in the Midnights, I thought, throughout. They did dominate the offense for the majority of the match. And while they were on top, I thought this was pretty enjoyable. They really bring out the best in everyone, even if they're not the greatest workers in the world. They've even brought the Freebirds to some decent matches in recent months. Yeah, uh, this was a fun match. I I thought they did well. The Militia did their part well. Uh, They didn't insult anybody with the shit work. I thought this was all in all a solid match. Ten minutes may seem like a long time for the Militia, but it didn't feel that long at all. Like Sometimes I don't do the timestamps like you do. So sometimes when you tell me that matches are as long as they are, as short as they are, it's like, oh, some of them feel like every bit of that time, like the Ron Simmons, Tommy Rich match, but <laughs> others don't even feel like that's the It felt like a five, six minute match, but it went 10 minutes. So um, that tells you all you need to know about how good the Midnight Express were. Yeah. And I'm not a big proponent of pushing the militia here. I believe they are what they are here. Jobbers to the stars as they're being used in this match, but I don't understand their half ass push. Some weeks they protect them, some weeks they job them out. I wish they'd make up their mind on what they're going to do with the militia here. Yeah, they're not getting any favors from the booking team. Some weeks we're supposed to take them serious and accept them as, you know, a top team or a team that means something, and then other weeks they're just jobbing to bigger names. So Right, they, they've chose um, the militia as the team to break Johnny Ace's jaw, so to speak, yeah. sorry, cheekbone. However, they're sitting here yeah. doing jobs on TV in the in the interim until the dudes return. So the dudes are basically essentially feuding with job guys. Job guys broke Johnny Ace's face. <laughs> well, the dudes will be back any time now. They're not back on this episode of the Grenade, though, so there's always that. We'll talk about it next week. We'll talk about it oh, next yeah. week. Oh, yeah. Promo time with Paul Ellering and the Road Warriors. Hawk says the SST no longer stands for the Samoan SWAT team, but the Samoan squat team. Now, Steve, and we just saw the squat team, not the Samoan squat team, but we saw the squat team, the headhunter squat team on our Royal Rebel 96 watch along. So it kind of made me laugh when I heard Hawk say that. But basically the story here, it's a promo heading into the clash, which is a, supposedly already happened in some of these segments anyway, uh, building to the final matchup between the Road Warriors and the SST. And we closed the show with the Road Warriors in the ring. So we last week it was the Freebirds cutting promos or Michael Hayes cutting promos and the Freebirds closing the shows. This week it is the Road Warriors in a promo and closing the show against Trent Knight and Agent Steele. And you know this one's going to be short when they do the promotional consideration before the match. There's less than two minutes left on the show as the roadies pounce the job, guys. An animal pins Trent Knight with a clothesline in a mere 35 seconds. Uh, 45 seconds if you count the action before the bell. Either way, Animal with a simple clothesline. Nothing simple when the roadies do it, but you know what I mean. And the road warriors get the win to close the show. Yeah, yeah. It it was pretty stiff, but the best part is, dude, they showed the whole match on the replay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they had time. They had time as the credits roll. They just did the replay of the match and during the replay, which is pretty funny. That tells you how short it was, but yeah. Really nothing to talk about here. My final thought on this episode of Worldwide was episode of Worldwide was some enjoyable shit this week if it made sense time-wise. This shit is so out of sync, it absolutely has to stop. It it cannot go on like this. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. 
it makes me wonder if they even watch their syndication product or if they watch if somebody's watching this like if i was running a wrestling company i would pay somebody to watch our product every time it airs just to make sure nothing's messed up or or something like that because if i know what's going on or my person that i hired knows what's going on they'll know what's going on they can tell me whatever if there's mess ups like hey uh, this worldwide that we send it out, it, it's talking about the clashes. If it already happened, ah, it's okay. No, you you can kind of stop it before it becomes an issue. And um, to be a to be owned by somebody with the funds and the money that Ted Turner had, there's no excuse for this. They act like their pro their issue is their product on the screen. That's not the issue. The issue is the shit behind the scenes that it's not doing whatever it takes to get to that level. We talk about it all the time. That's what hinders them for the rest of their, their duration as a company. But they're just not willing to go that extra mile that Vince always was. And um, I hate to compare them to WWF all the time, but that's what they are. They're competition to them, and that's what you do get compared to. So um, th this is utterly ridiculous. I couldn't imagine like a Saturday Night Main Event coming up that is taped. It's not even live unless you do the main event or whatever. And on a superstars of wrestling, they're talking as if like Hulk Hogan got killed by earthquake or something before it ever aired. Like that, that, that would never happen. And that's the, that's the bar. And they're coming well under that bar. And, um, it does need to stop because man, this is, it's a pain in the ass <laughs> to yes. review and talk about. It has to end at some time because I don't remember it being like this. And I was, uh, I watched the hell out, especially out of worldwide growing up so i know it ends at some point here i just hope it's soon as we move Me on too. to the nighttime program the world championship wrestling program for september 9th this was the show where up until now to the best of my knowledge only 13 minutes of this show existed to the average fan out there it was just a simple midnight express squash match which actually closes this show of course we went to our man the Landman. And thanks to him, he doesn't just go and find the show. He finds the complete two-hour version with commercials, which I always appreciate from this time mm -hmm. and era. And so we go from a 13-minute version of World Championship Wrestling to a 120-minute version of World Championship Wrestling. I can't thank you enough, Mr. Land, for this one. As Wahoo McDaniel joins commentary once again, and I want to make note before we get going, you guys might be wondering, where have all of these sound bites been? This week, well, there weren't really a whole lot, and like I said, there's been shit so out of sync that I I don't know <laughs> to put it on here would have confused confused maybe you guys a little bit more. What I did do because this is such a rare piece of footage, this two-hour version of World Championship Wrestling, I grabbed a bunch of sound bites from this show so that we could share it with you guys here this week. And as I pointed out, it's Jim Ross hosting once again. Wahoo McDaniel joins him. Show kicks off. United States Champion Lex Luger. Taking on Tommy Angel, one of my favorite job guys of the time. First time in a long time, Steve, that we've seen Lex Luger wrestle at center stage. At least that's the way it feels for me. Yeah, it does seem that way. Um, he's kind of been, it's been weird. Like all his promos and everything have been taped and in the right. can. And it doesn't seem like he's been at any of these tapings. I wonder, uh, hard telling. Cause he's like, I don't know it. when. <laughs> yeah, probably. That, that probably is it. But hard telling when this stuff is recorded and. Like you can't really base all base anything off of syndication. So as far as Saturday night goes and power hour, it doesn't seem like he's been around very much. 
And I was actually shocked that Lex Luger gave Tommy Angel a little bit here. Lex gets too cocky early on. And Tommy Angel with a pair of surprise near falls on the total package. Jim Ross says the way to beat Lex Luger is just to put a mirror in the ring. Let him look at himself. Why didn't anybody (laughs) ever try that? Uh, He did it himself in WWF, man. (laughs) The total package comes back with a big superplex off the top rope. And the torture rack ends it in three minutes and 22 seconds. And then, for good measure, Lex Luger once again poses as he sits on the chest of Tommy Angel to close out the segment. What do you think of your boy, the total package here, heading into the clash? Uh, he looks like a million bucks. Uh, his entering work is nice. I mean, he's doing different things. I know he's picking up the superplex as a move now. He's probably thinking, well, it probably took him a while. But, you know, Barry Windham's gone, so might as well steal his move. But, yeah, he's looking really good, and it's just unfortunate that, uh, you know, we talk about Ricky Steamboat saving Ric Flair at the beginning of the year and how he kind of saved the NWA. Well, him yeah. leaving kind of screwed Lex Luger the second half of the year and yeah. ruined his 1989. So Steamboat did a good for one guy and a bad for the other. So um, Yeah, this uh, could be a very different world if Steamboat was still here working this program with Lex Luger, no doubt about it. But at the same time, Ric Flair uh, and whoever else is in charge is doing Luger no favors here, really giving him nothing to work with. He seems to be in a feud as I put air quotes in the air that nobody can see with Tommy rich, but really there's no feud to be had. They've had one match. They've had no angles. There's really no history or reason other than maybe rich is coming for the U S title. And we're going to hear from the total package here. Our first soundbite of the week as Lex Luger talks just a little bit about taking on country trash, Tommy rich. He said it, not me. And we'll talk about it on the other side. Total package. He's here. With us right here on the Superstation, Tuesday night, championship. You and Tommy Rich, they'll all be settled. Baby, am I here. You know, what you just saw was a blatant mismatch. It's like a Ford Escort against a Ferrari Testarossa. But you know, where's all this top talent in WA? Where's Sting? As a matter of fact, the same goes for you, the illustrious Wahoo McDaniels. And you know, in a showcase event, in front of the biggest television viewing audience ever, the Fall Brawl Tuesday night, Tommy Rich, and let's tell it like it is, Country Trash is going to find out what the total package is really all about, because you're going to be screwing from one end of the ring to the other, baby. All right, fans, Tuesday night it will happen, 8.05 live here on the Superstation, and we'll be right back for more on World Championship Wrestling. And I don't know if you have anything else on Lex Luger. I just I had to note when I heard this promo that Lex Luger compares a Ford Escort to a Ferrari Testarossa. I had to laugh because my very first vehicle, Steve, was a 1991 Ford Escort hatchback. Boy, was I styling back in the day. <laughs> and uh, also to note, I have never owned a Ferrari Testarossa. Me either. I thought it was pretty funny. It was a really great analogy. So, again, when he steps out of his routine, he, he comes up with some pretty good stuff. We move on with more action. Ranger Ross in the ring. Good to see Ranger Ross on Saturday night taking on Wild Bill Irwin. And poor Ranger has Sid Vicious at the Clash, so they do him a little bit of a favor here. Bill Irwin has nobody at the Clash. Who has it better, Steve? <laughs> uh, that's a toss-up. <laughs> I'd rather, I don't know if I want to paycheck that bad. <laughs> to step in there with Sid in 1989. 
we get basics from both men. Jim Ross, even on commentary, calls it the basics. Uh, puts it over, though. Him and Wahoo both try to cover up the ho-hum offense from both guys by talking about basic fundamentals and how you need those in order to win the matches. Bill Irwin with a body slam. But Ranger Ross seems to cradle through, and they let go immediately. So it felt like they were going into a finish and figured out, yeah, this isn't the finish. So the match goes on just another few seconds. Bill Irwin tries a knee to the gut as he shoots Ranger Ross into the ropes, but Ranger floats over the knee and rolls him up into a cradle. It gets the win seven minutes, 19 seconds, and Ranger Ross off into the crowd to celebrate. And I must be a Ranger mark because I didn't mind this match, honestly. Sloppy in spots, yes, but nowhere near as bad as some of Irwin's matches. Uh, I didn't think so either. I, I, I really feel like Ranger Ross, you just kind of buy into the character. I don't know if it's because he's an actual Ranger and all the accolades, so he's believable as far as his athletic prowess and just being a legit kind of tough guy. If you're in the military, you kind of have to have that mentality. And so initially, you already have that empathy and everything for him. You kind of feel for him and you root for him because he is an army guy and uh, you care about him just a little bit more than you normally would a normal person uh, so to speak and so uh, yeah I didn't mind this match at all it was pretty fun actually for a Brill or one match Ranger Ross from driving tanks to robbing banks and we'll continue with this show it's Teddy Long and the skyscrapers promo time let's take a listen to what Teddy Long has to say about his skyscrapers all right, ladies and gentlemen, back here on World Championship Wrestling with Theodore R. Long and the Skyscrapers. Later in the hour, it'll be Big Sid Vicious taking on Scott Hall. I know there's a lot on your mind this Tuesday night, the Class of Champions. It's live here on the Superstation at 8.05, and obviously your men will be there. That's exactly right. Now, I'm out here to say something to you people, and I'm out here to let two wrestlers know that we're going to end their careers September 12th in Columbia, South Carolina, live on the Superstation in the Clash. Now, number one is Flying Brian. When my man Norman gives you that splash this time, it's going to be all over and you're going to be finished. Now, number two is that no good black idiot Ranger Ross, who's from the other side of the track, we're going to make sure that he never walks again, okay? When Sid Vicious gets through with you, Ranger Ross, we're going to put you in a pine box and ship you right back to the other side of the track where you came from. Because right now, people, you are looking at two men right now who rule the world. Take a look. There they are. This is what's happening. And they're in the right, right. Mr. Fat control Mr. Fatman. Don't control be these telling guys. me nothing, Pillsbury Doughboy. Uh, you want to come I'm back out of your controller. Right here. Let me say this right here. I've got one other thing to say, too. Now, Ric Flair, you're walking around with all fame and glory, but you don't know that take destiny is going to take a look at you. You're going to be laying back with all your pretty girls, giving you all your grapes in your mouth, beating you out of their hands, and Destiny is going to kick that door in, Ric Flair, and we're going to take that NWA World Television, whether well, World Heavyweight Championship, I might say, away from you, whether it be Sid Vicious, Danny Spivey, it makes no difference. We're going to take it, and there's nothing that nobody can do about well, it. Well, I'm going to do something about it. We're going to go to a break. I'm tired of this. We're going to a break. You know, I don't know 
if Teddy Long had any right looking so perfect with guys like the skyscrapers, but looking at them together as a trio here in this promo, they just, they fit perfectly. And how cool did Teddy Long look here in that white pimp suit? <laughs> he looked great. He's starting to evolve his character a little bit. Maybe he's getting a little bit more money, so he's been spending a little bit more on attire and things like that to make himself look a little bit more believable. Uh, he looked pretty fresh here. Uh, <laughs> sick on Ross, Mr. Fat Man was hilarious. And then Long follows it up, calling the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah, really good promo here. I thought it was very good. Yeah, and I... I have to address the elephant in the room here. Teddy Long referring to Ranger Ross as the no good black idiot from the other side of the track. Basically called him everything but an Uncle Tom here, as you know what Teddy Long's implying on Ranger Ross. Uh, He does get one thing right. He says that Sid's basically going to send Ranger Ross out in a pine box, and he does just about that at Clash of the Champions. Yep. Quick recap of the Road Warriors SST feud. As we see a video here, they show the old brawl way, way, way back months ago. The brawl in center stage, it really brought everything back to the forefront for me. That was really where it took off, that brawl inside center stage. All four men just beating the living crap out of each other everywhere. And then, of course, we're also refreshing to the Marietta Massacre in the cage where the SST and the Birds quadruple teamed the Road Warriors. It's followed up by a Road Warriors promo. They're hungry. For Samoan blood, Hawk says, it's like honey to a bear, blood to a shark. The Road Warriors are coming for the SST at the Clash of the Champions. And as we go to commercial, the bumper says, the Z-Man is coming. September 12th, 1989 at the Clash, Steve. The Z-Man is coming. So while they haven't really done a great job building him up, they use these bumpers to at least mention that he's on his way to the NWA. Yeah, it's something. I mean, it's better than having nothing there, you know? It makes you wonder, like, who the Z-Man is, and it kind of gets you excited. And then you find out it's it's Tom Zank and... Yeah. Well, <sighs> disappointment. Yeah. You need a <laughs> fart noise on your uh, <laughs> soundboard. But, uh... Then you uh, find yeah. out it's Tom Zank and... Even use the dookie sound on that one, but uh, (laughs) and then you find out it's Tom Zink, Steve, and that's all I got. (laughs) That sums it all up, but um, no, like you said, at least they gave him something. And if you don't know who he is, then I wonder who Tom Zink or I wonder who the Z Man is, so uh. Another reason to tune into the Clash. You know, his match at the Clash was so fast, I forgot to mention the, the Z-Man story I have. It's a very quick story, so I'll just get it out of the way now. Way back when, about 1990, I was walking down my, my street, and I got to the corner. It was the dark corner. The, see, the one side of my side street came out on a main street. It was a nice, brightly lit area. There was corner store and lots of traffic. and no big deal walking down that way, but the other side, it kind of went into the dark side of the <laughs> of town and uh, off of another side street and alleyways and things. And every once in a while, I'd ride my bike down that way. I'd walk down that way. And when you got to the corner, there was this one house and it had a garage door where someone had taken hot pink spray paint and spray painted the words Z-Man fuck you on the garage door. 
And it sat there for years, Steve. And I would walk down the street and I would see Z-Man, fuck you, as a kid, all the time. And I just found it hilarious. And what the hell did Tom Zink do to this person? (laughs) Did you ever ask the owners of the house? I never went near the owners of that house. They left the words Z-Man, fuck you, spray painted on their garage door for five years, Steve. I don't (laughs) want to know who these people were. I just didn't know if they was really referring to Tom Zink. But man, that's great. That is great. It'd make it yeah. better if you knew if that's what I, they were referring to. I could only guess. I mean, time-wise and the fact, how many people are named Z-Man? And, and, and right at that exact, exact same moment in time. I, and it was hot yeah, pink. It just felt like Tom Zink. Everything about it smelled like Tom Zink. You know who it was? It was Shane and Johnny. They were mad that Z-Man and Filman took their spot. <laughs> oh, if those guys were anywhere near my house, I don't know. <laughs> Shane would have just bored you to death with an hour-long promo. So, yes, that's my uh, Z-Man fuck you story. I meant to tell in the class, but the match went so fast with the Cuban that I never really got to it. So I had to work that one in. That's great. And uh, we noted that the commercials are intact on this show, and you really marked out for the old Craig Sager college football updates that were on this episode. Yeah, uh, those were great, and he did those for years. And uh, hell, TBS did those for years during these old World Championship Wrestling shows. We don't really get them too much. I think the uh, WWE Network accidentally leaves one in on one of those earlier years. I don't remember what year it is, but I, I kind of remember seeing one on one of the old WWE Network episodes. It's just crazy to think how long Craig Sager was with Turner. Man, I grew up with Craig Sager in uh, basketball. like in 90s and 2000s and things like that. And he's here back in 89. So quite the career. Show goes on with Captain Mike Rotunda over Mike. Not quite awesome yet. Anyway, it is Captain Mike Rotunda over Mike Awesome. Rotunda, very basic, but pretty aggressive. Double underhook suplex gets the win. Two minutes, 15 seconds. And Rotunda will take on Dr. Death at the Clash. More feud recap time as we relive the Ric Flair and Sting versus Funk and Muda feud. We go back to Wrestle War. We see Funk pile drive Flair on the table and then off to the post-match Great American Bash Brawl between the four men before we get a clip. And this is it, a clip of the Great Muda defeating Sting for the vacant NWA TV title from the September 3rd Omni Show. It's a very quick clip, Steve, as we see Sting who backs Gary Hart into a corner. He grabs Gary Hart, and Great Muda from behind has some sort of an object. I couldn't really tell what it was, but a foreign object, or this is Turner, so it's an international object. I beg your pardon. And he nails Sting across the back of the head and makes the cover, gets the win, and the Great Muda is the new TV champion. I wonder if they just filmed that one segment or if they filmed the whole Omni show. I'd be curious to know that, but... Yeah, they seem to typically tape the Omni shows, record the Omni shows back then. So it's it's it, it may be out there. It's in Vince's library. Well, we'll never see it then, if that's the case. <laughs> and true. after the clip of the Great Muda winning the title, we hear from the rest of the JTEX Corporation. It's Gary Hart, Dick Slater, and Terry Funk in a promo as we head to the clash. It's about time the nation realizes that the Sting no longer is the world TV champion. As of last Sunday night in the Omni, after many tries, you were very Sting. You were the champion Sting. You were a tough champion. But now, the great mysterious Moody 
is the champion. Now on to other things. Other things being this Tuesday night, live across the nation, Clash live. And when I say live, you're going to be live. You're going to be real live, aren't you? For what? You did, Ricky Flair, to Dickie Slater when you took the Brandon Iron and four times you drove it into his arm. Four times, Ricky Flair. Four times you crushed that Brandon Iron into his meat and bone and the More bone like give out. More like a cheap shot, I believe. Did that say a cheap shot? Would you call it a cheap shot? Would you call Ric Flair the man that he's supposed to be, the outstanding athlete that he's supposed to be? All of a sudden, Ric Flair, you don't remember, but Dick Slater is very capable of doing what he wants to in a ring, but he doesn't go as far as taking a branding iron and breaking somebody's arm in two places. But what, what is the NWA logo? We wrestle. Isn't Ric Flair the champion supposed to be the epitome of that assumption? Well, let me tell you something. Tuesday night live. Live. We are going to have Tuesday night mayhem. Not Tuesday night wrestling. Because it's going to be a fight live. out there. And Ric Flair... You might be surprised whenever you find out you're walking out of that ring with a permanent, permanent limp. Injuries, lives go happen. So the heels putting their own narrative on things. Of course, Terry Funk brought the branding iron into the brawl. Ric Flair used the branding iron to break the arm of Dick Slater. And then they asked Ric Flair what kind of athlete he is for using such a object in the fight. Typical heel. Uh, revisionist history. They they make sure. it what they want it to be and uh, things like that. But I like Gary Hart at the very end there. Tuesday injuries, Tuesday live. If you didn't know Clash of the Champions 8 was live, then you definitely know it for that promo. That's right. You would have thought maybe the show was even called Tuesday Night Live as much as they promoted it there. And you talked about revisionist history. I bet Scott Hall wish he could revise the history of the upcoming match here as uh, Scott Hall takes on <laughs> Big Sid Vicious, accompanied to the ring by Teddy Long and Dangerous Dan Spivey. Long looks like he can do no wrong here as he dances his way out in that white pimp suit. As the match gets going, Sid shoves Scott Hall and drops to his knee and plays to the crowd, per usual. Uh, they do a spot where Sid then leapfrogs over Hall, turns around, and Scott Hall shoves Sid back. Seems like he was setting Hall up for something big, and Hall just gives him a big push. And Sid seems to stumble backwards, and they cut away. They don't. The camera doesn't necessarily cut away, but in post-editing, they just randomly film the fans in the crowd, and they're not selling or popping as if they're watching anything. So it makes me feel it's just generic crowd video here, as something clearly went awry in the ring with Scott Hall shoving Sid and Sid falling through the ropes to the outside, which Jim Ross and Wahoo cover up that Sid just wasn't ready. He, he got knocked off balance because he would have never took a bump for a shove. Uh, I think Sid thought something bigger was coming than, than Scott Hall pushing him. Yeah. According to Meltzer, they had to do this. They did this quite a bit because of how bad the match was. Um, well, I saw it at least twice during this match. That was yeah. the first time. The second time, even more obvious. The only good thing about that spot was Sid had done the, the shove and then dropped to his knee and played to the crowd. Scott Hall shoved him back, and then Scott Hall mocked Sid by dropping to his knee and playing to the crowd. 
it would have been cool had Hall done an actual move here. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what the hell happened there. I don't know timing was off or what, or Scott was supposed to hit him with like a back elbow, just send him out right away, or clothesline, something like that. Instead, he just runs up and pushes him in the back. Like, ah, I got you. This, uh, that's it. This, this match is all kinds of awful. Even the parts that they show are not very good, and I'm I'm being generous when I say that. Sid winds up missing a shoulder charge in the corner. Scott Hall with a schoolboy for a two count. And they're back up nose to nose and another major screw up, but they don't cut away in time. So you actually see them botch some of whatever the hell it is that they're actually trying to go for here. So they do cut away, but not quick enough. What shit this was. And uh, the only thing saving grace out of this whole match, if there was one, was I thought it was kind of cool seeing Scott Hall whip Sid into the corner and hitting a running in drop kick into the corner. I hadn't even seen the move, I don't think, in 1989. So to see Scott Hall busted out was kind of cool here. But other than that, don't let me fool you. This was a terrible match. As Scott Hall, in slow motion, misses a shoulder charge into the corner, and finally, Sid puts him and us out of our misery. Powerbomb gets the win. Three minutes, 42 seconds for Sid Vicious. My final note here, oh my God. Awful. Yep. And this match is out there, like, and it by itself, like, you can find this out there in your normal places that you find videos. <laughs> yeah, what? This was terrible. Very, yeah, very bad. It's no good. I'll, I'll, I'll straight up say it. I think there's three different people have uploaded this to YouTube. So it's out there if you guys want to see it. And I recommend everybody seeing this once. You won't want to see it twice, but it's worth watch one time. It's it's terrible. It's scary to think that Scott Hall was this bad just two years before he became the Diamond Stud and eventually Razor Ramon. It's crazy. Yeah. It's uploaded three times because of how terrible it is, and it's Sid <laughs> Hall. So uh, there's a reason, so go check it out. Show goes on, and this is Babyface versus Babyface's Flying Brian takes on Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. No Missy Hyatt because apparently she's no longer with Eddie Gilbert. Not storyline-wise, not in real life. You're just supposed to forget about it, I guess. Match starts out, a feeling-out process. Both men jockeying for position early on in the early going. Brian Pillman with a missile dropkick sends Eddie Gilbert to the floor, but he lets him back in. Good sportsmanship there by Brian Pillman. Eddie Gilbert isn't so pleased. Things start to get heated, and neither guy wants to release a break in the corner. They begin a shoving match, and Gilbert even sneaks in a forearm to the jaw of Brian Pillman. I liked the lines between Jim Ross and Wahoo as they told the story here between the two baby faces starting to get a little heated. Jim Ross says, if you take away competitiveness, then you can just go home. It's over. Basically saying, if these guys didn't want to win, didn't come here to win, they have no business in the ring. And Wahoo replied, show me a guy without a temper. I'll show you a guy that won't be on the first team. Both guys basically stating that you have to want it in order to become a champion. And I thought that really rang true in real life anyway. So good storytelling by the announcers uh, during this babyface contest. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jim Ross is really, really good at tying in like other sports and things like that to get over like a competitive match or, or things like this. So these they did a great job uh, just setting the stage and basically explaining why one of these guys or both of them are getting a little heated. They want to win. That's all that matters. And if you don't want to win, then you can get the hell out because there's nothing here for you. And um, that's the story they told for us, and it was really good. Job well done. 
after sneaking in that forearm shot, Eddie Gilbert takes over and does work the arm of Brian Pillman. Flying Brian makes the comeback, but Eddie goes to his eyes. And Eddie Gilbert goes for his finisher. No, not the hot shot. His other finisher, you know, the inside cradle. It doesn't work here, and Brian Pillman kicks out, and the two are back up, and they wind up cracking heads. Brian Pillman takes a bump all the way out to the floor. As Gilbert gets up, Brian Pillman back on the apron, lands Air Pillman, springboard clothesline, gets the one, two, three. Brian Pillman pins Eddie Gilbert in 11 minutes and 12 seconds, but the referee fails to notice that Eddie Gilbert had his leg under the ropes during the pinfall, and Gilbert doesn't look too happy as we conclude the match. Yeah, I know when we first saw this, like we thought it was heading towards a countout, so I was pleasantly surprised to see, uh, you know, Pillman actually get the pin, even though Gilbert had his foot under the rope. So uh, it's just a decent way to continue this feud going forward. Obviously, these guys put on a pretty good match together. I'm looking forward to the rematches because I know we get a few of them uh, going forward. It was during this commercial break that I learned the American Gladiators will be debuting this fall. I really marked out for this one because I had never seen a American Gladiators promo for the first season before, promoting the show before it actually aired on TV. So we now know that Roller Games is debuting, the American Gladiators are debuting, and the Z-Man is also, once again on the Chiron, coming 9-12-89. Two out of three ain't bad, Steve. I'll let you decide which one is on the outs. Uh, I think we already know. We'll get that. Uh, we'll get that um, American Gladiators up for you guys too. I don't know if it's readily available or not, but we'll we'll get that on there too on our YouTube channel. Absolutely, great stuff there. I was a huge Gladiators mark. I marked out for Rico Constantino way back in 1990 before he was ever a thing in professional wrestling. In fact, when I saw his name uh, down in developmental, I had to contact uh, one of my cousins immediately because. We used to spend every Friday night watching the American Gladiators and or maybe it's Thursday night watching the American Gladiators and we both marked out for Rico as kids. So seeing him in wrestling, it just it was full circle for us. We knew the name immediately. That's awesome. Coming back from break, it's the danger zone. And Paulie says, hey, man, he may not be a fan of Sting and the nature boy, Ric Flair, but it's good for business. So he welcomes world champion Ric Flair and Sting to his show. This is how Ric Flair responds. You know, being wrestling's premier journalist, there comes a time when I have to put aside my personal differences and really just ask basic questions. And the basic question is right now involves Ric Flair and Sting, and that's that you guys have suffered going into Tuesday's big clash of the champions, a major, major setback from the great Muta. Well, let me, let, let me start this out by saying that, first of all, neither one of us wanted to be on your program. Contracts are signed and things often are prearranged by our promotional people, so we're here. I owe Sting and I owe the people in the rest of the wrestling world an apology because if Delta had been on time, what you saw earlier in this program would have never happened. Sting, as you know him, is one of the greatest athletes in our sport. He had the great Muta beat. You saw it. The wrestling world has seen it. If I had been in that building, what happened would have never taken place. Now I can only say that he's the kind of athlete. I'm the kind of athlete that never looks backward. We're talking about Tuesday night, the 12th of September. Ric Flair and Sting will walk that aisle for the first time in the history of this sport. We will walk the aisle side by side. We have wrestled each other in every major arena in the country. 
He knows what I'm made out of. I know what he's made out of. And the bottom line right now is, Gary Hart, we know what you and Funk and the Great Mood are made out of. And I am telling you right now, put it in the bank, you're going to have to show us a lot more than you've shown us in the past because Tuesday night, Fall Brawl, live across this country, Sting and I are going to dog you woo, all night long. Is that not right, my big friend? First of all, Nature Boy, no apology needed. I don't need that right now. I know Delta was late, and I know if you could have been there, you would have been there. Things like what happened the other night wouldn't have happened. But guess what? I'm going to get my revenge because we do have the fall brawl coming up. Muda and Gary Hart. You know, everybody out there, and I'm not wanting to sound like a crybaby right now. Oh, I lost my belt. That's not what I'm going to do, Gary. Everybody saw on national TV, I beat you. Yeah, I'm going to say it coming right out of my mouth. I'm the better man than you, Muda. I beat you. One, two, three. Referees out on the floor. I get cheated once again. It took me a long time to come up with a belt in the NWA. All the way back when I fought even the Nature Boy for the world title. I came up with a TV title. And I'm not planning on letting this slide so easily, my friend, because in the fall brawl, ow, just like the Nature Boy said, you think you're jumping right now. Wait till you see what happens in the fall brawl. The ah! is. Sting has walked over better men in the great Muda on the way to the restroom. And Tuesday night, woo, all night long, big man. Woo! Two takeaways from the danger zone here. Flair and Sting are ready for the clash. And Delta was late. Yeah, I don't know if somebody, if Delta pissed somebody off. No. Yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my thought. You know, when Flair first mentioned Delta, I thought, man, that was pretty specific there. Why not just say an airline? I mean, that could, you know, the company could come come back on you if, if you're just name dropping them and, and talking shit about them for no reason. But the minute Sting dropped Delta as well, I knew somebody somebody did some shit <laughs> to the nature boy here. Uh, I'm sure the plane was late. They probably gave him some other issues. He probably got naked up there. You know, the, the old stories of him, you know, just in a robe on the, and, and somebody actually complained about it. Imagine that. <laughs> oh man yeah they, that's what i thought i was like man they're really going in on, on delta. delta so <laughs> something had to have happened but yeah i thought this was uh the only line i didn't I, and i get it, it's just flair being flair but him at the end there where he's saying he's gone over better men in this business than funk and mood i mean mood is the top hills and i get it you're just playing it off but that kind of like who is it like who is sting beat over the last year like the Russian assassin or whatever, like who is it that he's gone over? Um, but yeah, other than that, I didn't really have an issue with it. I thought it was really good, and they did shit all over Paul Heyman at the beginning too. Uh, <laughs> well, we, he's we on his, be on your he, show. he's on his way out. So, and it's Ric Flair, and he's the one firing Paul Heyman. So, no shock there whatsoever. Oh yeah, I, I know that, but man, he well, promotional guys make us do it pretty much i don't want to be here <laughs> i was like man all right back to the ring it's tag champions the Freebirds, over bob cook and rick Ryder. cool to see bob cook here in the nwa now michael hayes with the ddt on Ryder. i thought Ryder had a decent look but two problems a he's about five foot nothing b he's fairly young but half bald and it's just not gonna get you paid here at least in the 1980s and 1990s in professional wrestling. Definitely not. 
Michael Hayes with the DDT on Ryder, and then he sits on his face. Who the hell is he? Lex Luger? Michael Hayes with the win in 3 minutes and 24 seconds for the Freebirds, and then another pre-tape with Michael Hayes as he talks about the Steiner brothers. He says the Steiners look to reach the pinnacle, but they have a woman problem. Two women by their side. Michael Hayes knows how to take care of more than one woman at a time. Or so he says. Please. And the Freebirds will retain the belts at the Clash. And it's back to commercial for more Craig Sager College Football Report. And back to TV for an encore presentation of the Rick Steiner and Robin Green date. Yes, that date. The Robin Green Boing date. Yeah, I think um, Jim Ross early on in the show is saying they got a lot of requests to see it again, so they're going to air it. Jim Ross booked that storyline. I'm sure he's the one that wanted to see it again. That's pretty over. Let's play that again. It's to the ring with the Steiner brothers. They're accompanied by both ladies, Robin Green and Missy Hyatt, taking on Agent Steele and Bill Ford. And woman, Robin Green, letting it all hang out. And it seems like ever since Robin Green has transformed into this new character where she's wearing what she's wearing, that Missy has now become more conservative. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, too. I think you mentioned that. Uh, she's like wearing long, like silk jackets, button up shirts that are covering up everything. Like, she's yeah, not jackets down to her knees. That's yeah. that's a no, no. Yeah, definitely. So uh, it's unfortunate that both of them are beautiful women and they should both be out there dressing however they want to dress to get themselves over. If that's how she wants to dress fine. But I just feel like it's to make Robin look better or more seductive. I don't know, but um, definitely weird. As the match gets going, we see the Frankensteiner and then eventually Rick with not his typical overhead belly-to-belly, but a really nasty belly-to-belly throw on Bill Ford gets the win in only two minutes and six seconds. One note I have on this match, in the middle of the match at one point, to get Robin Green over, the camera shows her on the outside, and they stay on her for a good hard, I'd say, 15 seconds at the very least. And Jim Ross says the line, you can almost feel it coming. Here it comes. And then they cut back to the ring and Rick Steiner nails the Steiner line. I don't know if they did that on purpose or not, but it just sounded perverted. You can almost feel it coming. Here it comes. And then they show a Steiner line and they cut away from Robin and show a Steiner line instead. Who's coming, JR? You sick bastard. Oh my God. My my barbecue sauce is coming. (laughs) I, I don't, man, like. This dude, I'm so glad he got married by the time he's in WWF. <laughs> Once he got married, this stopped because I don't remember this at all. Yeah, I don't know when JR got married. He might have already been married at this point. He's just uh, something else. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's, he certainly didn't need any blue pills here in 1989. Not that they existed, but had they existed, Jim Ross, no need for them. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Just pop in a tape of woman. He'll be all right. Promo time with the Steiner brothers, Missy Hyatt and Robin Green. Missy talks for the first time in forever, it feels like. She says the birds' names are Michelle Hayes and Jenny Garvin. Scott Steiner says that Terry Gordy's no longer around. He won't be here to save the birds at the Clash, so therefore the Steiners will become the next World Tag Team Champions live on TBS. Robin Green asks Rick if he will win the titles for her. And then she slyly says, and Missy. Again, hinting at the upcoming heel turn. Yeah, it's not so subtle. Um, no, not this week. She, no, she clearly 
doesn't want any part of Missy Hyatt. She's the queen bee around here. So we're a good hour and 47 minutes into the show. And had we not got this complete episode, this is where we would pick the show up. It's one match left on the card. The Midnight Express taking on Lee Scott and powerhouse Tim Parker makes his way to the NWA. Wahoo McDaniel says as much as Lee Scott's been flying lately, he should have a pilot's license. Good line from Wahoo there. He's clearly been paying attention to NWA TV. He even states that once Lee Scott gets some meat on his bones, he might actually be something in the ring. So Wahoo kind of putting over Lee Scott a little bit here on commentary. Yeah, he is. He deserves it. Lee Scott makes a brief comeback on Bobby Eaton, and he goes up top, but Bobby Eaton meets Lee Scott and presses him off the top rope, but instead of taking the somersault bump a la Ric Flair or pretty much anyone else, Lee Scott throws himself forward and basically goes face first, nosedive, splash, into the canvas and kind of slides across the canvas as well. So Bobby Eaton presses Lee Scott off the top rope and Lee Scott takes a face bump into the mat to which JR replies, I've never seen anything like that before. So JR acknowledging that's not how you take the bump live, or at least on this episode of world championship wrestling. And eventually the Vegematic ends it on Tim Parker, though. I don't think Lee Scott ever tagged out after that bump. Doesn't matter either way. Bobby Eaton makes the cover. Midnight Express get the win. Two minutes, 41 seconds. And Lee Scott sticks out once more. I'm shocked. Are you shocked? Never. Never. Not, not, not when it comes to Lee Scott. <laughs> Absolutely no. not. And we close out this edition of World Championship Wrestling, the big sell job for the Clash of the Champions, as Jim Ross interviews Gordon Soley to discuss the main event of the Clash of the Champions. You know, we were talking earlier in the week, and you said some, I think, some things that obviously I didn't think about. I don't think most of the fans think of, would think about the uh, consequences that Flair and Sting are both putting themselves in, especially the champion. Well, precisely. Ric Flair, of course, uh, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, is a man of tremendous pride. I watched Rick when he wrestled for the University of Minnesota, and he was always a, a very, very proud competitor. Now, number one, in going into this tag team match uh, with a man that he's wrestled against in the past, they have not wrestled really as a tag team combination. They know each other's skills, but as a tag team, I don't know which one will want to be captain. I have a hunch it will be Flair. You also have the other aspect. You've got Gary Hart on the outside. You've got Muda. You've got uh, Dick Slater, who's going to be around. And that cast, as far as I'm concerned, is a lethal weapon. I have to feel, Jim, that uh, that Flair uh, and Sting are going in there at a disadvantage. Uh, if, if I were to ask to be picked a winner here, I would really, really have to go along with uh, Gary Hart's troops. Ladies and gentlemen, there you hear from the Dean of Wrestling Broadcasters. Gordon Soley's going with Gary Hart. I think Gary Hart has got a plan. And if Flair and Sting can walk out of this Tuesday night's big event, 8.05, live as it happens here on the Superstation, I've got to say they'll be lucky men. Well, I hope they pull the miracle off. Ladies and gentlemen, for Gordon Soley and Chief Wahoo McDaniel, I'm Jim Ross saying thanks for being with us, and we'll see you tomorrow night at 6.05 on the NWA main event. A tale of two stories here. It was just a week ago on the Power Hour that Gordon Soley said he he thought that uh, Sting and Flair had the advantage because of their time in the ring against one another and knowing one another so well. Now, all of a sudden, a week later, Gordon drinking a different alcohol of choice, apparently, as he tells the reverse story <laughs> that it will be a miracle should the baby faces defeat J-Tex at the Clash of the Champions. But in all seriousness, 
great job here. Just kind of bringing Gordon Soli in to close the show. Just, just to get over that big, important main event on the clash. Yeah, I, I think so too. We, we already talked about using Soli uh, effectively and this is, this is how you do it. I mean, just hearing him talk and the way he, he thinks differently than what other people think. He's old school as old school gets, even for 1989. And back in the day, you, all you really have is those big matches that you had to sell and, he knows how to do that, and that's what he does here. And I thought it was very well done. Um, really good job by Ross and Soli here. And we'll move on. One final show here this week on the Grenade as we wrap things up, as we head into the Clash of the Champions program. Or if you believe what Worldwide tells you, it's already happened. But it technically has. I think we're kind of like Worldwide right now. We're, we're basically airing shows, or maybe we're like pro. We're airing shows out of order discussing things that have already happened. Yeah, right, sure. Anyways, we move on. It's the NWA main event. Uh, Nobody seemed to have this footage, though I was able to piece it together from what I had. And here are some quick results, and we'll go over the the last match anyway, and you can talk about anything else you feel like on this show. Really a nothing happening show here. I did enjoy the fact that Terry Funk got to team up with the Great Muda heading into the Clash as they get a win here pretty easily over Ranger Ross and, of course, Trent Knight doing the job. We get a promo from Gary Hart and Terry Funk, once again building up to the Clash of the Champions, a replay of the Skyscrapers video. Then, from the September 1st Power Hour, joined in progress. Two minutes in progress. The eight-man tag we already talked about, the Roadies and the Steiners against the SST and the, and the uh, Freebirds in which the babyfaces won when the illegal Scott pinned the illegal Michael Hayes. The match ran 12 minutes on the power hour. We got the final 10 minutes here on the main event a week later. So once again, filling time with matches we've already seen, both shows on TBS to make matters even worse. From there, it's a promo with Sting and the Nature Boy Ric Flair, and we close the show with one of your favorites. It's Wildfire Tommy Rich teaming with Eddie Gilbert, and we do. Get Missy Hyatt here as they take on the team of Ron Simmons and the Cuban assassin. I wonder if this is a replay of that original match. If Missy's with them, makes you wonder. Uh, I looked it up. It's uh, it seemed to be a different match, uh, different um, different finish. So the uh, original one, the, the heels win. So here are the baby faces go over. This is a rematch. It's it's actually a rematch we didn't need, and no yeah. Iron Sheik. So I kind of wonder if he's already gone here when this was taped too, even though Simmons is still being forced to team with the Cuban. Ron Simmons dominates Eddie Gilbert early, but then we get Tommy Rich and the Cuban in the ring, and Rich has issues even climbing the ropes to mount the Cuban in the corner for 10 punches. We have issues here. Tommy Rich going to the clash to take on Lex Luger. The guy can't even climb to the middle rope. (laughs) This is the best they got for Lex Luger? Come on. Gets even funnier than that because Tommy Rich decides he wants a test of strength with Ron Simmons. Get the fuck out of here. Who the fuck? As the match goes on, Cuban Assassin tries to crawl under Tommy Rich for some reason during the test of strength. Kind of creepy. But Eddie Gilbert crawls under Ron Simmons and meets the Cuban underneath the two guys' ball sacks. Really weird spot here as Ron Simmons and Tommy Rich are locked up in a test of strength with their legs spread so that Eddie Gilbert and the Cuban can crawl underneath them. Just really, really weird shit. Horrible. And from this point forward, it's Armbar Rama 
on the Cuban, and you can guess who applied that armbar. Uh, it's actually not just Tommy Rich. Eddie Gilbert joins in, which makes it twice as fun. Finally, the... So. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> if you say so, twice as fun, my ass. Oh, Lord. Uh, the, heat, uh, the heels finally get some heat on Tommy Rich as the Cuban locks in the ever-powerful abdominal stretch O'Doom. And Tommy Rich, believe it or not, with an awful hip toss to escape the hold. And a hot tag to Eddie Gilbert as we wind up with a four-way melee as we go into the finish. Referee gets Ron Simmons back into the corner while the Cuban charges Eddie Gilbert in the opposing corner. But Tommy Rich runs over and he pulls Eddie out of the way. Cuban hits the corner hard and Eddie Gilbert with one of his favorite holds, the schoolboy. And Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert pick up the win. 15 minutes, 18 seconds. What a waste of time. Yes. Uh, you know, I talked earlier how some of these matches feel like they're a lot shorter than they are. This one felt every bit of 15 minutes. <laughs> Almost felt like 30 minutes with how terrible it was. I don't know who saw the first match and thought it was a good idea to put this back on TV. <laughs> I don't know who saw Tommy Rich wrestle Ron Simmons last week on the main event and thought it was a good idea. Hey, let's get these guys back out here with partners. Oh, Lord. Yeah, you can tell they're not paying attention to the shit they're putting out. Has Eddie Gilbert got a win this year where he's not using a roll-up or a schoolboy? I think he beat a couple jobbers with a hot shot several months back. Back in February, maybe, but man, <laughs> can this dude get a legitimate big win? Yeah, I don't it's... know if the Cuban is it, but come on. Let the dude win with something besides a schoolboy. Yeah, no favors for Eddie Gilbert, who's basically lucky to even be employed at this point uh, from the stories you hear you know, in regards to Ric Flair not being a, a giant fan of Eddie Gilbert at this time anyway. I don't know that he hated Eddie Gilbert, but he certainly didn't want him on the committee and politics certainly came into play as Eddie was clearly de-emphasized here and eventually gets stuck teaming with Tommy Rich, not permanently, but most of the time. So that's very unfortunate for Eddie. He really doesn't get any worse than that. And then Missy Hyatt basically yeah. taken off TV any time now, uh, come to think of it. So it's uh, going to be bye-bye Missy here fairly soon, too, as according to Missy, politics came into play, and she was told she gained too much weight. And she needed to be taken off TV. I'd love to see somebody pull that shit today. Talk about a lawsuit. <laughs> Talk about cancel culture. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Man, they'd be done. They'd be gone forever. So, well, yeah, Meltzer but... still gets the right when he trashed Peyton Royce. So, who knows? I guess it's pick and choose who you want to cancel. And all roads lead to Clash of the Champions 8 Fall Brawl, Steve. And that wraps it up two weeks of NWA TV leading into the fall brawl. And yes, I've already mentioned two weeks ago, we recorded and we did the watch along on episode 19 of the grenade. So once you guys finish up this episode, you can go back to episode 19, play the fall brawl watch along. You can even play it on the WWE network, watch along yourself, enjoy the show. It was actually a very solid show. And next week we'll kick things off with, with quick results from clash of the champions before we tackle not one, not two, but three weeks, three weeks of NWA TV f to close out the month of September and move on to October and eventually Halloween Havoc. Yeah, September is like 2020. We're just trying to get it over with. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, um, I'm looking forward to three weeks. It's been a while since we've done three weeks of TV. Uh, it can get a little long, but uh, there's a lot going on here. And um, it's really starting to pick up. The stories are starting to 
get more intense and the, the action's been a lot better. Uh, after this this episode we just finished up, I think the action on you know the 916 and the 23 shows are, are really good. And I'm interested to see where things are heading, heading into the uh, Halloween Havoc. So um, buckle up, guys. Yeah, I feel, I feel like uh, Clash was a really great show. It closed out some of the old feuds, and uh, some of the other ones are continuing on. And I agree with you. I feel like uh, Ric Flair's booking begins to hit its stride after this week of TV that we just completed. So lots of fun stuff on TV coming up very, very soon, and certainly on the next edition of The Grenade. Uh, Steve, once again, man, as always, thanks for being here. Three hours to discuss these two weeks of NWA TV. It would have been a lot shorter show had, had we not found all this footage, but I'm very happy that we did. Yeah, me too. Um, I really, really enjoyed that Saturday night episode when I watched it. So I'm, I'm glad we got that in, but yeah, it, it was fun. It, it was three hours, but it didn't seem like that long. And I had fun talking about it. I've been waiting to talk about it. It's been a while. I'm glad that we're back hitting these weekly TV shows going. Yeah, those pesky holidays got in the way and initially, and then we, we started searching for this missing footage and actually found most of it, so we were very blessed in that way. So it did postpone this episode of The Grenade, but we put other things up in the meantime, so we never took any downtime. We kept putting out shows for you guys, and we hope you guys enjoyed those, and now we're back on track. We're in the middle of September. Clash of the Champions, the watch-along's already out there. Steve, once again... Thank you for being here. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. And once again, I've got to say thanks to all of our loyal listeners. We appreciate you listening, subscribing, and downloading The Grenade. You can find The Grenade, Monday Warfare, the WrestleCopia News Network, and other upcoming podcasts over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pod, Podcast Addict, and so many more. Remember to follow The Grenade on Twitter at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Lastly, I encourage everyone once again to please have a look at our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. I encourage you to please subscribe at least one month. Give it a try and join in on the fun. There's no commitment. Cancel at any time. But we'd like to think you'll stick around based on the offerings available. It's 14 tiers of goodies over there, and it all starts as low as a buck. A $1 tier. We've really been pumping out a series of watch-alongs ranging from the WWF Coliseum video series to random pay-per-views, including 1995 pay-per-views that make a great complimentary piece to the Monday Warfare podcast. Also on Patreon, our Power Hour podcast is now up and running, where we review the current product, recent pay-per-views, and discuss a variety of topics from every era. It's unfiltered, uncensored, and nothing is off-limits on the Power Hour podcast. We invested quite a bit of money into the podcast network up front. We want to keep the Grenade, Monday Warfare, and other planned podcasts up and running for 2021. So we'd greatly appreciate your subscription to ensure that we continue to produce quality products each and every week. So please stop over. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And please subscribe, show some love, let us know you care, let us know you're there. And with all of that out of the way, it's that time again. Time to say goodbye, but we will return next week. Until that time, this is Ray Russell, and for my co-host Stephen Ekstat saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Bee!
there. And when you got to the corner, there was this one house and it had a garage door where someone had taken hot pink spray paint and spray painted the words Z-Man, fuck you on the garage door. And it sat there for years, Steve. <laughs> Did you ever ask the owners of the house? I never went near the owners of that house. They left the words Z-Man, fuck you spray painted on their garage door for five years, Steve. I don't <laughs> want to know who these people were. 